This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 176, for Thursday, March 7th, 2013. Our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, so we're... Past the 175th episode mark, I'm very happy to be moving forward to think we are pretty much 200 episodes away, I mean 224 episodes away from 200, which is quite a milestone to say the least. I'm, you know, very proud of that, and, you know, we've come a long way and we're making a lot of strides along the way, just trying to do a lot of things to make make the show better and to give you guys a, a great product, but like with anything else, there's some growing pains and some things that got to get worked out. Uh, last week, we were using the new mixer, which has been working very well. And this week, we kind of switched it up, and we were going with the with new hardware on the computer side, which, quite honestly, was an extremely, extremely frustrating experience, primarily because I wanted to build a new rig for the show, and... Uh, some circumstances beyond my control forced me to not be able to do that. So I had to make some modifications to the equipment we have now. And I decided, oh, you know, I'm going to go and get an SSD drive to increase the boot time of the computer, allow it to run faster, etc., etc. Well, for all the trouble that it was worth, it did not work. I, you know, I run an AMD rig and I picked up an Intel um, SSD drive and it just wouldn't it just wouldn't work my my boot time was was very fast you know but it was a minute and 20 seconds and everyone i spoke to told me that you know a minute and 20 seconds is just not the move so i said to myself you know this just isn't going to work but the crazy the crazy part of it was that every time we you know every time i i disconnected the hardware and reconnected it something else would happen it was just issue after issue after issue uh turns out i ended up returning it talking to a tech support guy in uh the store i went to which is micro center and it turns out that you know it just it just wouldn't play nice with the with the system so i decided instead to go with what you know with a western digital raptor drive which is extremely fast and um it's it's been working very well my boot times are roughly 
50 seconds, uh, 45 to 50 seconds, which is, which is great. But like anything else, you always, you always want to make sure that you got, you have something better and you know, it works, it works as good as it can. Um, huh. Josh Coleman is telling me that he can barely hear me. Why? I don't know. Uh, this is why the Mixler audio. Yeah, it is sounding a little low. Hold on a second. Let's see. This this should work a little better. All right. Uh, eh, still a little low. This is what I get for messing with the um, with the what you call it, the the compressor. But um, give me one second while I get this squared away, guys. All right, let's see. Let me know how it sounds in there, guys. It, it, as far as I know, it's still... For some reason, it seems a little low. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, Holman is telling me that it's low in the Mixler side. Huh, ben says that it's okay. Slick says that it's all right. All right, well, we're going to work on it and see what the deal is. I'm going to see what the hell's going on because we have really really good levels here in you know in the studio so i don't know what the deal is with the mixler side of things uh if i could punch up the audio i will but i'm gonna try and just power along with it because i don't want to overdrive the mixler audio either which for some reason still seems to be a bit on the low side i think i'm clearing maybe 12 decibels maybe 15 at most Anyway, as I was saying, this this computer issue was a huge pain in the ass that we managed to resolve. But it, it's still I'm still working the bugs out with this Raptor drive. It's running okay, and we switched to this ACHI business, which is um, which is a pain in the ass. Uh, for those of you that are in the Mixler chat and are having audio issues, uh, you can hit the Blog Talk Radio chat. Uh, Josh, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash my take radio and click the chat room in there and you can chat with the people in that room. I guess Mixler just doesn't want to work with me this evening. So we're going to have to work that out anyway. So minus all the hardware issues, we are, there's a couple of announcements I got to make, which I want to get out of the way next week's episode, which is going to be on March 14th. That's MTR 177. Make a note that we're going to try and broadcast on Mixler only. No Blog Talk Radio next week. We're going to do a completely Mixler only show. And hopefully if it works out well, clearly tonight is not the night with Mixler. We can move on from there and maybe start doing some stuff on the Mixler side of things. That's something that we are working on. We were we finally figured out the situation with uh, Jason David Frank, the Green Ranger, and we've come to the conclusion that we're going to end up doing a pre-recorded interview, probably for MTR Beyond the Mic. But um, out of a courtesy to our listeners, given that a lot of them wanted to check out that interview, I'm probably going to release that interview to the general public once it's recorded, as opposed to just pinning it down to the app first. Only because that interview, we've been trying to set it up 
for on air and obviously it wasn't working. So we're going to try and get that squared away with him. Hopefully we'll be recording that interview either Tuesday, the 12th or the 13th. Either way, we'll do the MTR Mixler show episode 177 on the 14th. And we'll end up releasing that interview either that same day or the 15th. We're also going to be at wizard world in June. We're going to be at the house of glory show uh, March 30th. So we got a full plate the next couple of months and we're going to try and give you guys a ton of content. Uh, earlier today, we put up the Bellator prelims. I know a lot of you guys were checking it out on the site. Uh, for those of you that did, thanks a lot. That's just something we're going to try and do going forward, putting the prelims in there. Um, I did want to do some sort of a live stream, something like that, just to talk about the fights, but I had to do show prep. So unfortunately it was out of my control with regards to that. Hopefully we can get that squared away. Um, maybe for the UFC event on the 16th, we'll see if we, if we do live streaming with that, if that works, either myself, maybe I'll get with Ben or somebody and we'll try and figure out how to make that work or slick. We'll see. When that comes around, like I said, it's that that's a bit of a of a testing process. So it, it may not come to fruition on the 16th, but if it does, I'll make sure to let you guys know. Also, we got a couple of other things going on. The Stitcher numbers. I want to thank all of you that are getting MTR via Stitcher. Thank you very much. Those numbers continue to increase. They continue to grow. Um, very, very happy with what I'm seeing. Also got to thank everybody who's getting the show via Blog Talk Radio. Just tremendous growth every month going into into beyond the 5,000 download mark. So thank you guys for that. Um, the other thing I did want to discuss is that for those of you that want to listen to the shows live, remember, you can listen to it on Mixler. You can listen to it on Blog Talk Radio. You can also dial in and not hit option one, and you can listen to the show through the phone. So that's just another another outlet I wanted to share with you guys with regards to listening to the show. Now, this week, besides all the technical issues, I did want to talk about one thing before we get into the rest of tonight's topics, and that's, for some reason, what's happening with gaming in the month of March. And the reason I want to get into that before discussing it in the gaming segment is because a lot of people are telling me that March has become pretty much the new November with regards to game releases, you got a ton of solid $60 worthy titles dropping Tomb Raider revengeance. You got God of war every week. It's something. And I mean, it's great, but it's also, it's also making it very tough for people to get into certain games. It's breaking things up. So I was talking to one of the guys I work with. He, he plays a lot of sports games and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, man, you know, I go into GameStop and they keep telling me to pre-order X game, Y game. And he's like, I don't know why. It just seems crazy that there's so many games in March. And we were talking about it. So on my lunch break today, I wandered into the mall, um, number one, to see if they had the new TV that I had bought myself as a gift for all my hard work, which uh, hopefully I should have this week. And it is um, serious, serious business, this TV. So props to Sony for the hookup. And maybe, maybe I'll do a an unboxing of it just so you guys can laugh your asses off at at me dealing with a whole bunch of wires and BS. Anyway, so I wandered in there and the beauty of the, the shopping center across the street from my, from my office is that there's, there used to be three game stops in there. Now there's two. 
And ironically enough, one GameStop has some pretty cool guys, which I've talked, I've I've mentioned those guys on air. And the other GameStop is pretty douche-worthy from start to finish, from the manager all the way down to the slaves that he has working for him. Anyway, so I wandered in there, and I actually decided to pre-order God of War. I I did it because I wanted the um the Leonidas skin from 300 because you know I'm a, I'm a weirdo like that. Anyway, so I went in there and I went in to do a pre-order, and the guy's like, "Wow, you know." This is one of the few times I've decided um, that, you know, 300, you know, I've decided to do a pre-order. He's like, yeah, dude, I've, I've seen when they try to sell you shit and you don't, you're not into it. So, yeah, the, Slick just told me that that skin is for multiplayer, I know. But I just wanted to have it because I'm a fucking idiot. But anyway, so the guy says to me, he goes, yeah, you know, cool that you're doing a pre-order. So we were talking and I was saying to him, I'm like, you know. There's way too many games coming out in March and solid titles too. You know, Revengeance, Metal Gear, um, Tomb Raider. You got the Darkstalkers re, uh, Resurrection, which comes out on PSN and Xbox Live, which isn't a big deal to some people, but for me, I'm a fighting game fan, so so that's 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 big to me. But we were talking about it. And he was saying he's like, you know what? What the problem is that the right after the holidays, there's that big slump, and then you have the, the big spring push, and then the summer slump. And we were talking about it because the crazy thing is that, in a way, I can see what they're doing because they want to kind of keep February open for them to, to really pad those numbers for the first quarter. But the crazy thing with that is that you're going to release all these awesome titles in March, and then maybe you'll get something good in April, and maybe May, but then June and July is usually fairly, fairly dead. Now... Obviously, with E3 coming around, we, we were talking about it, and I think we can both we both agreed that they're probably just saving a lot of that stuff to either hit people with at PAX East or E3, and then they'll just start dropping a lot of a lot of hype machine stuff. Obviously, I want to pick up the um, the DC game the, because again, it's a fighting game. I want to pick that up and a couple of other games, but I am being very selective. I I didn't pick up Tomb Raider. And I didn't pick up Metal Gear. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, those are awesome games. And I wanted to pick them up to review them for the site and capture video and all that stuff. But I've come to an amazing realization, especially with adventure games and certain 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 first-person shooters that drop. Usually within two weeks, those games are either 50 or $40. In, in some crazy instances, we go as low as, as 30 which is a whole other ball game, but I, you know, there's a lot of people that have been telling me like, uh, Captain Quark, he picked up Resident Evil Six for twenty bucks. I was in the Sony store; they're they're having a sale of ga- of games for seventy five percent off. So like Lollipop Chainsaw, Mod Nation Racers are like ten bucks or fifteen bucks a piece. So if you got a Sony store in your area, definitely stop in there and grab a couple of PS3 games that you may that you may have been on the fence about. The prices are fairly good and. Um, you know, it was just it was just so crazy that this is kind of the rationale that they're going with. It's kind of like put everything out to to get those MPD numbers hot for the month of March. Then you kind of coast through April and May, and then of course E3 season hits, and you try and get as much news out there as possible. And and yeah, there's going to be a couple of titles released in between. You know, we got Gears of War and a couple of other games, but 
it was just crazy that even from the retail side, they're starting to see that it's definitely a little weird. And it just bugged me out because it's not just happening with games, you know, but it's also happening with the way movies are being released, too. You had a, a, a nice run of DVD and Blu-ray releases. Um, Wreck-It Ralph, which I picked up yesterday, and I'm working on their review for that. And the crazy thing with that is that it, it, it almost seems like it's just a changing of the trends where you got a really, really hot November, sometimes a hot March, then maybe it'll pick up again in, in August because obviously Madden drops. So th- that kind of starts that snowball effect through the summer. But the summer, for all intents and purposes, is fairly quiet. I just, um, like I said, I was just very surprised that even even the guys in GameStop think that it's it's a little crazy that so many solid titles are coming out. Not to say, and again, it's open to interpretation by any of you guys. It, it, some of you guys are going to say, oh, you know, all those games are, you know, solid 8s to solid 10s in most cases. But you also got to look at it that the, the variety of each game kind of waters it down. You got, like I said, you got Tomb Raider and Metal Gear both solid single-player games. And, yeah, there's some multiplayer stuff in there you could kind of mess with, but I'm talking about single-player campaign games, one behind the other. A lot of people I know are still kind of messing around with Revengeance, and I know a couple, including, I know Ben, he started Tomb Raider, and um, Colm started Tomb Raider as well. And for those of you that are fans of God of War and and ha- are playing Tomb Raider, you're going to have to jump into that. So for me, I'm going to kind of take a wait and see approach i got a full game fly queue of of three games that i gotta review for you guys and i'm gonna try and get some other stuff out this weekend but it's just really crazy how march has become so so packed with games and thanks ben for the reminder we still got bioshock also on on route that a lot of people are excited about so if you if you got 60 dollars every week to buy games more power to you me i'm gonna be just a Midge more selective just because I, I value I value my pockets. Anyway, so we got a lot of MMA news to discuss. This week's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Do yourselves a favor if you want to pick up some of the latest UFC walkout shirts, um, some of the great rash guards, fight shorts, any gear to, for training, uh, make sure to hit up MMAWarehouse.com. They, um, they advertise with us. You can see their banner on MyTakeRadio.com. If you need any MMA gear, Click the banner on the site. It helps us out. Plus, you get some really awesome gear, including the brand-new GSP walkout shirt that he will be wearing on the 16th and a ton of other stuff as well. All right, so with that said, let's get into this week's MMA because Ben is going to be joining me, and we have tons to discuss, including the very insane UFC media call. We definitely got to talk about Vanderlei and Brian Stan and a ton of other stuff. So, without further ado, let's get into some MMA. Ben, what's up, dude? Welcome back. What a crazy, crazy week we've had on the MMA side of things. We got, yeah, we, we, dude, we got, we got Bellator. We got to talk a little bit about, we got, of course, the crazy UFC fight. Plus we got to talk about transgender fighters that want to fight women. 
Oh, it's it's uh, it, it yeah. If if you guys history is being made, we got some what the fuck MMA news for this week. But I <laughs> I, I want to get the ball rolling with Bellator first because once again the 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 continuing trend of awesome fights from Bellator continues with some really great fights, especially on the prelim side of things. And then when we got to the main card, we we had some fantastic fights there as well. I I gotta definitely talk yeah. about. The, the, the light heavyweight championship out, um, you know, Christian Mfumbu taking on Attila Vey, which was a, a really, really solid, solid war from start to finish. What do you think of the, of the, of that lightweight title? I mean, light heavyweight title fight. I wasn't, uh, as big of a fan as you were. <laughs> um, I'm not a huge fan of the fact that even Christian Mfumbu still had a belt. Really? And well, he lost to Travis View, who then had to go through the tournament and then lost, which is why I'm like I don't particularly like. Ah, I see. I don't know. I, I wasn't a big fan of that fight. Um, and, and the funny thing is, I actually watched the replay because I was I was on the phone with you, so I watched the replay. That fight's not on the replay. If you if you the replay of Bellator, they took that whole fight off. What the hell? That's really weird. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you why. I mean, the fight, I mean, it wasn't the most exciting fight in the world, but I didn't think it was that bad as you just take it completely off the replay. But no, they just showed a bunch of, um, of the prelims. But, um, it was, it was, it was an okay fight. It didn't surprise me how the fight went, though, because Krishna Pumbu clearly should not be fighting at 205. He weighs in about 190 something. He clearly should be on 185. I guess he just doesn't want to cut weight, but, um, until Vague beat him up and uh, did a pretty good job of it. Uh, I think Until Vague is going to end up losing to Emmanuel Duke. Um, but, um, you know, it, it was a good fight. I think I think Emmanuel Newton definitely poses a, a big problem for him, only because Attila Vague definitely was trying to work a lot of the, you know, trying to do a lot of counter-striking, you know, when, when yeah. you know, Fumbu went for the front kick in the second round. You know, Vague just came forward and just smashed him and... In a way, it, it, you know, it, it kind of put Mfumbu on the defense because he he really, when, when he got caught in that in round two, at the beginning of round two, he started backing away and respecting the guy's hand. So I think Vey's going to want to try and trade with Newton and, and use um, counterpunching. But I think in Newton's case, Newton's striking is definitely, you know, I think I think it's definitely a little better than Vey's. And he knows how to work the weird angles to get in there, so I I definitely think that it's true. His title reign might be short lived. Plus, I think Emmanuel Newton beat him the first time they fought. They fought in the tournament before, and I think Emmanuel Newton beat him that time. So, I do gotta I do gotta say that that um that Sada Wad knockout of Will Brooks was bananas. Yeah, that was uh really surprising. Um, I thought Will Brooks would win. Um. Just because I, I still think Will Brooks is the slightly more well-rounded fighter, but Sadawad uh, came out and uh, got him in a clinch, hit him with a couple short shots, and knocked him out. Uh, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy. Like it was surprising. I was really surprised that they didn't put the women's bantamweight bout on the main card. Not not to take anything away from Jason Fisher versus David Rickles, but really you couldn't squeeze that woman's fight in there. It was a pretty solid fight. Nice victory by Holly Holm via TKO in the second round. 
Yeah, Holly Holmes looked good. Um, uh, she, she I, I'm, I'm actually surprised how well she has um, adjusted to MMA, considering like she boxed forever. Like she might be the best women striker outside of maybe Cyborg in MMA. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that or that her striking was on point, and I'm sure as much as you know, nobody's gonna say any. You know, nobody will ever own up to it. But, you know, Dana White was probably watching that with much interest because this is the funny thing. I, and, and you know, just to go a little off track, you know, Dana White, he'll talk all that shit. No, nah, man, I don't watch this guy or I don't watch that guy or whatever. And it's like, dude, you are watching everybody or you got or you got stoolies that are watching them. Get out of here. Yeah, some, somebody from is watching that because Bellator doesn't really have a division anymore. So there's a very good chance that. Holly Holm will probably get picked up. She's a 135-pound woman. She'll probably get picked up eventually if she keeps winning fights. Yeah, I definitely think so. I definitely think that there will be um, an opportunity for her in the UFC, especially with the performance she had. But I don't know why why Bellator doesn't take the opportunity and utilize that tournament format and try and start building some female stars. It's almost like they started doing it, and then they just dropped the ball. Hell, I'd do that before I do another freaking heavyweight tournament. Like... (laughs) Oh my god, dude! On there. Like nobody wants to see these garbage heavyweights you have. They're heavyweight tournaments. They're not bad, but it's definitely like watching paint dry. Some of those fights. Yeah, I mean, with two hundred five and heavyweight, the majority of the really good two hundred five fighters and the majority of the really good heavyweight fighters are in the UFC. So when you do whole tournaments where you got to get like eight guys, you might get two or three good ones, and the rest of them are not good at all. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely crazy, but the um the one thing I gotta say, and I don't know if you if you've picked it up or you're running an iOS device, and I'm gonna try and put something together. The Bellator MMA app is definitely very very cool because you can actually score yeah. fights with it, which is awesome. Yeah, I was looking for that, but uh, I don't I don't have an iOS device. I have an Android device, so I don't. They they say they're they're working on the Android app for it. I hope they hurry up and do that. But uh, yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, we gotta have a lot of fun with that. I actually I um I downloaded it and, tr- and tried it out on on like on my iPod Touch, and I was like, wow, this is this is really cool from a second screen standpoint. You know, just imagine you watching a card, you pick up whatever tablet you got, and you're watching a card. You're like, yeah, the, that was definitely a ten eight round. You know, like there's definitely some really cool stuff there. Like I think. If it works well and it's something that that we can all start using down the road, it'd be cool if we watching it and we could put up like like you know screenshots of what we thought of the fights and how we scored them. Yeah, that that would be cool. Um, that would be a cool thing. I wonder. Uh, well, the UFC has kind of something like that if you watch on your Xbox. But yeah, wonder I, if they ever get an app straight app like that. Yeah, I mean the UFC app on Xbox. You know, I've reviewed it and I've used it numerous times. It, it's a very cool app. The social media integration is cool. But I just feel that it almost becomes an extension of the website and it isn't completely native to Xbox Live other than the fight picks. Like, it'd be cool if you could, while, while you're watching it, there's a little bar that comes up on the bottom of your Xbox and says, who'd you give that round to? And, you know, you could kind of up, you know, you could put that on Twitter or Facebook, stuff like that. Because, yeah, you can do the fight pick and you can do how they win. But the interactions during the entire fight are are really where it's where it's going to be, you know, second screen experience for sure. Yeah, that would be really cool to um to do. 
So I hope I hope they get I hope they they get a, a, a like an Android or iOS app that they do that with because that would be really cool. Well, switching gears from Bellator into the UFC, um, huge, huge, crazy card. Um, of course, UFC uh, on FX, Silva and Stan, Hunt and Struve, Gomi and Sanchez, and and th- there's a lot of a, a lot of fights that were people were torn about. I really like the um, the Bruce Leroy fight with um, Kyung Ho Kang. That was a really good fight. Um, Bruce Leroy looked looked good as usual. He looked he looked solid out there. I always feel though that Bruce Leroy is a fight or two away from hitting like the big stage. Like he's always there from a marketability standpoint, but he's not there in terms of like the fans just being like, "Yo, Bruce Leroy is gonna fight. Let's go crazy," you know? Up? Oh, did you drop out, Ben? I think Ben dropped out. Yeah, Ben did drop out. Anyway, before Ben calls back, which I'm sure he probably had some some phone issues, I um I do got to say before we go into the card, the UFC in Japan is extremely extremely awesome to watch. I would I would give anything if they did a pride style UFC event. Just just for nostalgia purposes going with the ring and getting some of those guys in there and having a little fun with that. Not to say that it's something that that is mandatory, but I just think that with the amount of guys that are in there and the work that you're putting in in Japan, I think they definitely would would like that. It would be really cool to see. And for me at least, I think that you got a guy that um you know, you you got a couple of guys in there, Mark Hunt, Vanderlei and those guys that are definitely that they're they they would probably do that at the drop of a hat. I thought they were going to do that initially when they went to Japan, but clearly not. Um, anyway, I think Ben is back on. Let me bring him back in. Ben, you good? Yeah, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I was saying before you came back on, and Matt, you know, it'd be cool if the UFC did a Pride style event for the Japanese fans, you know, with the ring and, and some of the, some of the pride guys in there, just for nostalgia purposes, you don't got to do anything for rankings just for, for that, you know, for the Japanese fans. Cause I think they would really embrace that. I think it'd be cool to see, but I don't think they'd ever do that. Like at most, I think they would like maybe I don't know. Cause the ring, like fighting in a ring is different from fighting in a cage. So you would have a bunch of fighters that had to train, for one time to fight in the ring. Like it just, it just, it would be logistically, it wouldn't work out, but it would be fun to see. Yeah. I'm just saying from a nostalgia standpoint, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying for them to wall out and do it every time, but I just think it would be, it would be nice to see because it, it would be a throwback to that era, you know, just like for like, you know, I know they want to do something historic for, you know, the 20th anniversary of the UFC, but going to Japan and, and doing that with, with a lot of those guys would have been really cool. No, I would, I would, I would love to see it. Um, it. It would be cool. Now, just going back to what we were saying with um, with Bruce Leroy, you know, he's he's a yeah. guy, marketable look at marketable guy, pretty pretty good fighter to watch. You know, from a from an excitement standpoint, but it just always feels like he's kind of not going through the motions, but just you know, just just rocking along on the boat, seeing where the journey takes him. You know, like he's not trying to talk about, oh, I want to go and fight for a belt and nothing. Not to say that he, that he that he probably hasn't, but I'm just saying he's not aggressively pursuing it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. He looked 
good in this fight in round three. I actually thought he lost this fight. Um, I thought it was pretty clear that he lost the first two rounds. There was an avalanche that when we get to the Diego Sanchez fight. Oh, that's it. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I actually, I thought he lost this fight. I mean, it wasn't as egregious as that fight, but, um, uh, he, he, he did look good, especially in round three. Um, Bruce Leroy has improved dra- dramatically from what he was when he was at 145, um, and on the Ultimate Fighter. He, he, he looks good. Um, you know, he, he does seem like one of those dudes that just is fighting because it's something he can do. Right. Not necessarily something that he takes all that seriously. Yeah, so, I, mean, I mean, three out of his but, last but four he, fights he have been split. Fight. Not to cut you off, three out of his last four fights have ended in split decision. Saying, you know, it's like, it's like, what do you, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and plus, I don't really think he doesn't have the greatest amount of power, so he's not going to knock you out really. And he has a decent submission game, but I mean, you know, he he's he's a decent fighter. He's he's a good he's a good one thirty five to have on the roster. Put up against newer guys. I, I just I just don't think he can, he'll ever get to the point where he's fighting for a title. I was really shocked by the outcome of Cristiano Marcelo and uh, Tokudome, just because you know Marcelo shoot box academy. Everybody you know everybody would kind of was expecting something crazy, but it was a lot of you know Tokudome taking him to the ground, trying to trying to really work on that. I got to give Marcelo credit. You know he, he definitely going for submissions. You know going for that leg lock in the first. Then he um, he tried to go for an arm submission to close out the round. Definitely. He, it's not like he's a slouch, but I just feel that he wasn't. He kind of felt slightly off. I don't know why. I, I, maybe he was trying to stick to a game plan of taking a fight to the ground and not stand and trade. Because I'm like, dude, you're you're shoot box. You guys go out there and and it's it's swinging for the fences when you guys fight. Well, Cristiano Marcelo is one of those dudes that ha- uh, is a shoot box, but he's also like a tremendously good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu grapple that he never actually uses. I don't, I don't, he, he tries to be uh, that shoot boss camp where I'm just going to go out there and swing leather, but he was going up against a dude that had physical advantages over him. Yep. Uh, Tokuno is bigger than him. He looks stronger than him. He looked like a slightly better striker than him. And he looked like he was better on, a, or at least on top, he looked like he was a better grappler than he was. So, I mean, um, he was really a kind of outclassed in this fight. And it really didn't shock me that much because, first of all, I don't think he won his last fight at all. And um, this fight, like, it, 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 he had some good moments. Like, in the first round, he, he, he uh, hit, hit him pretty well. Like, Tokuno was just backing straight up, and um, he was getting hit in the face. But uh, after that, after that, that initial uh, flurry, he was he was kind of done. Like, Tokuno just took over the fight from there. Yeah, that was that was the thing. It kind of, he, he started hitting his stride, but it was already, it was it was too far gone. Um, you know, Tokuno took the fight. Uh, via unanimous decision, Caraway and Takeya Mitsugaki. Uh, Brian Caraway, I don't, I don't really know. I I kind of have a love hate relationship with the guy, just because you know they're they're in the whole Misha Tate beef. Uh, he came out of pocket a little a little suspect, but um, it, it was all right, you know. But but Takeya Mitsugaki is no slouch, and um, he really he really showed it, especially in that third round. Um, you know, just just with the dirty boxing. Working, he was you know working the body, and you know definitely he was working the hook game really really well, uh, dodging Caraway's takedowns. But yeah, um, oh, 
Go ahead. Yeah, um, uh, the funniest part to me about this fight is um, the fact that you heard in his corner Misha Tate say you're up two rounds to none. Coast. Yeah, and okay. <laughs> like, Who does um, that shit? <laughs> you should never, ever, <laughs> ever, ever say that. I nope. don't care if you got two 10-8 rounds. I'm not telling my fighter, coast. Get out of here. Who? Why would you do that? And he ends up losing the fight. So, personally, I thought he lost the fight anyway. I thought uh, Takeo Mizugaki won the first round. I thought Brian Carey won the third round or the second round. And Mizugaki won the, um, the uh, third round. But I find it absolutely hilarious that she's like, coast. Like, all right. So he comes out there and coasts and then loses. And then y'all both look stupid. Yeah, that, that kind of tripped me out that she did that, you know? Definitely, tri- yeah, it tripped me out that she did that. Yeah, did, did you just hear that static? Or was that just me? I don't know. That might have been just a little static on the line. Oh, okay. But, yeah, yes, they, 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 they're both standing there looking stupid after that. So, I, I don't know. It, it's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the deal was with that. But I'm like, yo, come on. How are you, you going to say to that guy, go ahead, man, coast, it's all good. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, you never should tell a fighter that. Ever, 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 ever tell a fighter that. And I, I, don't, I don't understand that at all. That's a terrible corner. I was, I was, you know, I was bummed with, with CR the Killers fight, but Stun Gun looked really good. You know, home field advantage. Definitely um, a, lot of, a lot of smother and cover on there. And I think that was also just cage rust for CR the Killer. So, you know, that when it started getting into, like, decision territory, I'm like, yo, come on. I mean, I kind of, I kind of knew like if, if he didn't knock Don Young, Don Stun Gun out in the first round, he wasn't winning that fight. Uh, Stun Gun is an excellent grappler, and though CR is, is is a good, a really good fighter, I just I just didn't see him. I didn't see a lot of ways he could win this fight outside of a, a heavy maker. Um, Stun Gun, that's what Stun Gun does. He takes you down, he beats you up. Um, he's a really physically imposing fighter, and that's that's what he does. <laughs> well, speaking speaking of you know. Guys that that really stepped their game up, and guys that are going for haymakers. Hector Lombard, what the fuck happened to that guy? Holy shit! I was looking at the TV like, dude, really? Like, how are you not using judo on this guy? It, it wasn't <laughs> even so much him not using the judo. It was like in the third round, you clearly have lost the first rounds. Yeah, third round comes around, you hurt him. You hurt him really badly. And instead of standing up and continuing to strike, you just lay in his guard. Like yep. he's clearly holding on to you because he's hurt, and you just lay in his guard. That was that was the thing that just shocked me. Like, what are you doing? I think that was that was poor game plan from you know from on his part. But I do got to say that Yushin Okami's no he's no slouch man. He's not he's not exactly a can. So. Lum, not to say that Lombard fought Kansas' entire career, but he's being tested when he goes out there, which is which is definitely an issue. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, the, the thing with that is, though, I think he beat Tim Boach, and he clearly, well, who Samar Paul Harris is as, it's not like he's being, you know, uncompetitive in these fights. Nope. And, I, and I love how some people on Twitter acted like, oh, he's getting cut now, like they're not coming out. But um, it... It would behoove him to have a better game plan going into the fight because he's just, 
he just seemed like he was in that fight just throwing haymakers. Like that that was that was all he was really out there to do. Yeah, the haymakers were a little were a little crazy. I'm like, yo, come on, man. Like, yeah, I mean, like that, not that, seeing the judo. Not... Go ahead. Yeah, it, it just looked like what that was all he was out there to do. And then, like, um, like clearly they were going to cancel each other out in the clinch. So he, I guess he just thought, oh, I'm not going to. He's not going to be able to take me down from the clinch. So he's not going to do anything else. When he got the single leg, it just looked like he he didn't know what to do with that. It was it was so weird, man. And and yeah, Lombard's not getting cut because Dana White's going to want his return on investment, but. What's happening? What's happening in in Hector Lombard's case is not to say that he, like I said, he didn't fight cans, but you're coming in there and it's a different level of competition. And these guys, they're scouting all. You know, you come in there with a perfect record. They've scouted every one of your fights to see what got you that perfect record. And it's you know, it's the aggressive stand up. So what they're going to do is just focus on neutralizing the stand up, especially because they're seeing that he's not really relying on the judo. He's yeah, not putting um, it to use. I, I really, I, yeah. Um, I think. Also, I think some of these dudes are too big for him. Like he, you know, he's a, he's a really muscular dude, but he's also like five eight. Right. Like I, I think some of these dudes are a bit too big for him. I mean, I think I think at some point the UFC is going to be like, look, you need to cut to 170 pounds, and we're really not giving you a choice. <laughs> like I think that's going to be a conversation they have with him. And I think actually he would do really well at 170 pounds. He was really supposed to come to UFC, I think UFC 70, and fight Carl Parisian to, um, at 170 pounds. So um, I'm, 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 I think that's what's going to end up happening. He reminds me of, um, oh man, what the hell is this guy's name? Um, he was Rich Franklin's boy. He fought in the UFC. Um, oh, you talking about uh? Or yeah, he's got the guy's got a tremendous jujitsu game, and he always goes out there. George Gagel, yeah, George Gagel. He goes out there to stand and bang. And you know when he did that interview a couple of days before, saying, "Oh, I want to go out there and have an exciting fight." That's great. You know, I understand you want to go out there and have an exciting fight, but the guy's not going to go and stand and bang with you when he knows that that's what you're known for. It's like what what you had said a couple of shows back, where. Yeah, man, I'm fighting Dan Henderson. Sure, I'll walk into this H bomb, no problem. It's the same deal. Yeah, exactly. Like you're, like I'm not standing in front of Hector Lombard for extended periods of time. Nope. Like, this is not what I'm doing. Like that's not what you should do. And um, I don't fault Yushin Okami for the way he fought, and he won the fight. It's all that matters. It's it's the the, the W's all that matters. Now, let let's talk about this highway robbery of the Fireball Kid. Against Diego Sanchez, I don't know on what planet Diego Sanchez thinks that he won that fight. When Dana White said, "Yo, Gomi got fucking robbed on Facebook," I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> I don't, I don't understand what the judges saw that constituted him winning two rounds. Nope, maybe one. Maybe you give him the third. Maybe. I would have given him the second. second round, he... I would have given him the second because well, of that flying knee, you know, a couple of liver kicks. But Gomi, Gomi looked nasty in the first, and Gomi stepped his game up in the third. He was looking a little frustrated in the third, but he still looked good. Well, it looked like Gomi had broke his hand, I believe. He broke his hand in the first round, actually. But um, 
I mean, I, I thought Gomi won the first and second round. I thought he, he landed the better punches in the second round, was backing Diego up, caught him with a couple really good body shots, um, uh, caught him with a couple good kicks. But it, 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 it baffles my mind that someone would be like, hey, yeah, let's give the guy who was backing up and getting hit in the face and body for two rounds the fight. It, it's ridiculous to me. And then Dio Sanchez on on Twitter talking about, oh, I clearly won that fight. No, you didn't. Nope. It's like you didn't beat Martin Campman, which was an all, another fight that he clearly didn't win because his face was bashed in, yet somehow he got a decision in that fight. I don't understand. I don't understand what people see. This is one of the reasons I'm not a fan of Diego Sanchez besides the whole carrying a cross to the cage like your Van Helsing thing. You know? <laughs> um, that, that was pretty awesome, though. The, the, the memes for that were fantastic. Yeah, he, he looked insane. But <laughs> I, I, I can't, I, I don't understand it. And I don't think, first, and I don't think Diego Sanchez, I don't think Diego Sanchez has been the same since BJ Penn beat the shit out of him. This like, is true. Since that fight, he seems to have lost something. Yeah, something is definitely amiss. But I feel sorry for Gomi because he clearly should have won that fight and he got completely ripped off. He got ripped off. Dana White even acknowledged this. So, you know, it's not like he's going to, like, people are like, oh, man, Gomi's going to get cut. It's like he's not getting cut because he got robbed. They, they probably paid him his win bonus. Like, yep. Like, he probably still got his win bonus. So it doesn't, it doesn't, that doesn't really matter. It's just unfortunate that on his record, it's going to say Diego Sanchez beat him when he clearly did not. Oh, absolutely. But the one thing I, I wanted to, you know, come back to was what you were saying about, about guys not wanting to stand and trade, especially knowing who they're fighting. And there's no greater example mm-hmm. of that than Stefan Struve and Mark Hunt. Because <laughs> Stefan oh, Struve man. is like 900 feet tall. He's got, he's got you know, the Dalsim arms. He's working the Dalsim arms. And... He really just stood there and said, "Yeah, I'm gonna stand and bang with you, even though even though I've been knocked out before. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. I'm like, dude, not to say not to say that I, I didn't love every second of it because you know Mark Hunt Mark Hunt's a a, a psychopath, but Stephen Struve's like, yeah, we're just gonna go out there and have ourselves a friendly a friendly exchange of fisticuffs. It's like, no, dude, I hit you, you hit the ground. That was it." It's it's not even that. It's like you're a foot yep. taller than this man, a, a complete foot taller. Yep. You your leg is probably as big as Mark Hunt. If he clinched him, he why could probably knee him. This close to you. Yep. Yeah, like why why is he ever getting that close to you? Like Stephen Stu, like is is so confusing to me. Like you're six foot eleven. None of these dudes should ever get this close to you, ever. Which is, is, is it, it brings me back to the point that people always make with, with like, Alexander Gustafson and John Jones. Oh, they're tall. That's their advantage. No, it's because no one can get close to them. Yep. Nobody Stephen can close Struve the distance. Stephen Struve is all in about this, hey, I'm going to get punched in the face by the only way this dude can beat me is punch me in the face. The only way he can beat me is punch me in the face. Yep. And you let him punch you in the face over and over again. I, I don't understand it. He 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 seemed. I I don't understand Seven Shoes. He got his jaw broken for his troubles. Like I I I don't understand how he got ever ever got that close. Like I'm watching that fight and just confused. Like 
Like, who trained you to strike? I, just, I don't understand. No, I, I watched it, and I said to myself, oh, Struve looked good in that first round. And I'm watching, I'm like, I'm like Hunt, Hunt took down Stefan Struve. That's all I said to myself. I'm like, Mark Hunt took down a dude that's like seven feet tall. How did that happen? How did he get that close without eating a knee for his troubles? And I said, this is going to be one of those weird fights. But you know what happens? This is also one of those instances where these guys go to Japan and, you know, they want to, they want to, they want to be recognized by the Japanese fans just going out there and doing the crazy pride shit. And it's like, dude, you don't do that. I saw the x-ray of his jaw and it clearly looked like, like when you break a sheet of glass, it's like, dude, your jaw got legit broken for your troubles. And Mark Hunt's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I won. I won, yeah, you know, it's all good. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I, I, I don't I, I don't understand Stephen Struve. But good for Mark Hunt. It's insane to me that Mark Hunt has now won four fights in the UFC. It's yep. absolutely insane when this dude, I think, was on like a seven-fight losing streak at one time. Like, but, it's just absolutely insane to me that he's now winning fights in the UFC, but... But you hey, know what? But you know what it is. You got a guy who, when he hits you, can send your consciousness into the phantom zone. Like this is a this is a guy that can help you meet God very quickly. <laughs> and these guys insist. I don't understand the the allure of wanting to go in the middle of the cage and trade with him directly. Like I can understand if you're counter punching and, and you're bobbing and weaving and you're getting and you get and you get caught. But you're literally going in there. Blow for blow with a guy who who can literally break your face. Stefan Struve now uh, a prime example of that. Stefan Struve should have tapped him as soon as they got to the ground in the first round. I don't understand it, and and, and it's one of the reasons I said what I said about Marcon. I, I though he's on this nice win streak. If he goes up against Fabricio Verdum, first of all, he's not getting that close to Verdum, and second of all, Verdum will tap him. He goes against you know JDS. JDS is gonna knock him out. He goes against Overeem. Overeem's going to... Like, nobody else is going to stand right in front of him. Like, that's who he's ran up to four dudes that are willing to just stand right in front of him. And that's not the way to beat him. But remember, I remember what happened with Struve and the Pat Barry fight. You know, it was a similar deal. that fight? That's what I mean. Like, how's that happening? It... it, I, I, I just... I have no idea how you are that tall and people can get that close. Pat Barry's like the same height as Mark Hunt. How do these dudes ever get this close to you? It, it, it's a problem that Stephen Struve is probably never going to be able to get over because if he was going to be able to get over, he's had like almost 30 fights. He was going to get over by now. Yep. He's just, he's, he's just going to be that type of dude that's just going to let you get inside on him and beat his ass. And if he doesn't tap you or knock you out, he's going to get destroyed. That's just how he's going to be from now on. Well, the the big one, Vanderlei Brian Stand. Regardless regardless of how you feel about Vanderlei before we get into that, when that round yeah. when that bell rang and those dudes just ran into the cage just slinging fists, you had to have been hyped. Oh, I was super hyped. Like, <laughs> I want to make sure everybody understands. I don't dislike Vanderlei. So oh, I know, I know you don't. Like, I just don't want him to. Well, I'll get into that in a second. But that first round was insane. And it, it was funny to me because I was like, okay, Brian Stanley will come up with a game plan. No. They were just going to stand in front of each other and throw haymakers. And 
as much as I sometimes like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of like, oh, this is this is just you know violence, mindless violence. This isn't a sport. That was just fun to watch because it reminded me of like old school pride type of fighting, like where dudes was just throwing haymakers. And uh, you know, even though I think Brian Stan fought in the stupidest way possible, <laughs> I that was incredibly fun. <laughs> that was just that was incredibly fun two rounds. Dude, he acknowledged that he said, "Yo, I was so over aggressive." Because think about it, you go, you're trading with the dude, you're having like a legit war, you punch Vandalay in the face, he shakes his head, he's like, yeah, come on, come on, let's do it. You know, and it's like, yeah, you know, we're going to go out there and we're just going to beat the fuck out of each other in front of a bunch of screaming Japanese people. It, it, you know, I, I think he got so caught up in that because when he punched Vandalay in the face and Vandalay's like, yeah, okay, let's do it, come on. I was like, man, this is this is going to be it right here. Vanderlei got hurt, but Vanderlei was smart and held on. Because you know he got caught in that first round two times. I was like, oh no, fuck. And then it was like he held on and you know he, he got his wits about him and then he was like, yeah, now, now we're really going to fight. Like it was almost like he just knocked the cobs, cobwebs out and Vanderlei's like, yeah, we're in Japan and I'm, I'm, I'm killing you right now. Because in, in that, in that, when, in that second round, it was, it was, it was a war, dude. There was, there, there was no stopping. In that second round. Yeah, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the fight. It's so far behind you. I mean, they they just beat the shit out of each other for like a round and a half. It was incredibly fun to watch. Well, with with that with that said, I know that that a lot of people are saying you know Vanderlei could retire on top right now. You know, he won in Japan. Yeah. It was a war, etc. Do do you agree? I wholeheartedly agree. And, it's not because I don't enjoy watching them fight, because that's not really enjoy watching family fight. But, like, I don't want our MMA to end up like boxing. Uh, and have a lot of fighters that fight so far, 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 far past the nation's style. Right. Um, like, I was watching a documentary face now, if you've ever seen a documentary, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's about, uh, you know, uh, boxing is like early in Ali's career. They fought Bob Ali. You can't understand anything these dudes are saying. They're all speaking English. You can't understand anything they're saying. And, and, and like, I don't want MMA to hit that point where we got all these fighters that are fighting past the time, getting knocked out over and over, and having this major brain damage. Like, I think, I don't know. Like, literally, doesn't seem like he's showing any signs of major brain damage right there right now. But, I don't think, you know, who, who are they going to put Van Lee up against that can't possibly hurt him badly? You know what I mean? Like, if he stays fighting at 205, like, there's no one, you're fighting at 205, really strong, killer comment. Like, they can knock him out. Those are the ladies out of it. They give him, like, maybe P4 or something. Like, P2 is going to hurt him. I just don't want to see Vanderlei put in that situation where, like, 10 years from now, you know, when his you know, son Thor or one of his sons is like fighting or something. You know, Vanderlei can't enjoy it. No, I respect that. I mean, 
I understand the the thing with Vanderlei is that he's not to say that he didn't have that huge following in Japan, but to come over here to the U.S. and it's just people go crazy when he fights, even when he loses. And I think I think it's that it's that nostalgia that drives him to continue to go out there. Which, like you said, it, it in the it may be to his detriment, but on the same point, he's going to be a guy that Dana White's going to have to sit down and be like, dude, that's it. Yeah, I think I think at some point they're going to Dana White's going to retire him. Yeah, it's going to be like the this, Chuck speech, you know, like, dude, you you can't do this shit no more. You can't. Yes, like I don't think he can have that thought with him right now. But like, if he goes out and loses like really badly, if if he had got brain in this fight, I think Dana would have had that that conversation with him. Like, yo, you, we'll give you a job doing nothing like Chuck, and we'll <laughs> just give you a paycheck. <laughs> like, we'll give you a job. Just you, you can't fight anymore because you, you just don't want them in that position where you're like, dude, you got brain damage, and it's because I let you fight longer than you should have. Right, I agree. Well, going no. going but, from uh, yeah. going from the uh, yeah. from the main card to the Ultimate Fighter, which between you and I, I think Uriah Hall is in the final. I, I so think I it, man. If he's not in the final. Every week, I'm just like, I swear Uriah Hall's in the final. And then, you know, you I follow certain fighters on Instagram and stuff, and I just see Uriah Hall all over the place. I'm like, yo, for a guy who's a contestant, I'm seeing a lot of Uriah Hall. More you than know, any of those other funny, guys. Have you seen the poster for the, uh, for the Ultimate Fighter finale? I saw one, but it was real low resolution. Well, the poster has you right Hall, right front of it. Like <laughs> they have, they have it's uh, Scott Jorgensen and Uriah Faber right there. It's Gabriel Gonzaga and uh, uh, Travis Brown, and then underneath it they have all the Ultimate Fighters, and they kind of got them like you know spread out so you can all see them. The first fighter you can see is Uriah Hall. Like, if this dude isn't winning this show. I don't know what the hell they're doing. Either he's coming in the UFC regardless, well, he's coming in the UFC regardless. But he's definitely, there's no way he didn't win this show. Like, all the publicity that he's gotten recently, the way they're treating him on the show now, he won that show. Or he, he at least is in the finals. Yeah, I mean, he um, I, he did a, a signing, I believe, at the MMA Expo, and people were just like, oh, he had a, he had a pretty decent crowd and stuff. And I every time I watch it, the editing, the way it's being done, and like and like you said, how he's being treated, I'm like, shit. I I think he he's in the final. He's definitely in the final. And the way that UFC is only putting him, he's probably gonna get in the final against somebody he's probably gonna beat. Probably. I mean, like I. Go ahead. I, first of all, I don't. I think he's the best fighter on that show by far. Um, and just because, I mean, he, he's got the most experience with anybody on that show. He, he seems to be the best fighter on that show by far. If, if, I don't know who would be the other guy in the final, but it just, it just seems like he might be, it's impossible for them to be doing all this and he's not the one in the final. Yeah. I mean, so much, he's so much exposure, but again, it's like, it's so weird the way they're doing it that. You know, it's one of the first times that I've ever seen a, co- a contestant really get 
that kind of exposure that wasn't, you know, Kimbo Slice. Yeah, and someone who really didn't have a following before the show. Yep, it's the, it's the craziest was. thing. I don't know who he was, but I didn't, I didn't even think he was UFC caliber before the show. Like, I thought he was a, I didn't see him fight a cop of um, a stream or something, like, a year or so ago. I, I didn't even see him ready, but then, like, all this stuff, I'm like, man, this, this dude probably won, he probably won the show. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy, crazy stuff, but, you know, I did, I did want to talk, you know, this, this fight with, um, Quinlan and Clint Hester was, uh, again, another solid TV worthy fight. And I got to give Hester credit, man. He, he tried to, he really tried to, to not tap. <laughs> he was, but, it, but it was like, dude, it's either tap or you're going to sleep. Yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, he, he had no choice. Um, he, he was, he was, he was, yeah. He was either tap or he was either not tap or going, going to sleep. Um, it, it was, it was, a, it was a good fight. I thought, I thought he won it for a Um, but yeah, tapped it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's really good though that all of these guys, regardless of their one loss moves, are all getting a chance in the UFC. And I think a guy like Cut Hester, um, get that, that, that train and, and get, you know, on to a UFC card and all that. I think that was going good. Yeah, I think I think you know, and then next week we got coaches challenge, which looks like it's just going to be crazy. And then um, Zach Cummings is taking on Dylan Andrews, and it, you know, Chael, Chael continues to be, you know, a really a really solid mentor to these guys. Um, I'm interested to see what kind of surprise Dana Card ha- Dana White has for the wild card fight. Yeah, I'd be interested to see who because there's a couple fights. I mean, either Bubba. It's either both, right? Because I, I didn't see any other fighters that really even had a fight that were really like, hey, you know, hey, you you fought really well, but you lost. Like, I, I mean, it's Bubba and Clint. Bubba and Clint were the ones that fought really well and they still ended up losing. True. I don't know, man. I mean, that's what I think. I think I think we're at a stage with this show now where the ratings are solid and it's kind of on an uphill climb where Dana White really needs to ensure that the next set of coaches and the next set of fighters are on the same level. Like you got to get guys in there that either have really good TV presence or just really legit hatred for each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It- I'm trying to say that I hope they do a flyweight season because you have ten flyweights in the UFC. Kind right. of need more flyweights. Um, I I, uh, I don't know who the next coach is going to be. I really don't. Um, I, I'm trying to think who could be a coach. I, I, got, I don't know who the next coach is going to be, but it would be fun to. I, I just want to see. <laughs> I got a I got a crazy I got a crazy idea. You could either do. Uh, Misha, the winner of the Misha Tate Katzengano fight, and Rousey as coaches, and they coach dudes. Mm-hmm. That, that that could work. That, that would be that could work bananas. And not only that, once again, you already got this. You know, you already got Ronda out there mainstreaming. Mm-hmm. It would be crazy, and you know, Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey got beef already, so that's going to be good TV. 
plus it would do, do good on uh, the new, because you, uh, I don't know how, if you knew this, but all of the MMA programming that was on FX is going to be gone. They're, they're putting on Fox One, yep. the Fox Sports Channel. So that, that should better be an be a HD really way to start. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it will be, but that would be a really good start to like that channel. Like the first season of Ultimate Fighter, like, hey, we got Misha Tate and and uh, Ronda Rousey, 125 dudes. Like that would be a really good start. Oh, absolutely, it would be good. Not only because you're gonna get those, you're gonna get the, you're gonna get two ladies that can help sell that show and got legit beef, but like you said, you bring them in there training 125ers, they'll be able to train them, they'll be able to spar with them, you know? And that'll that'll really, it'll make it an interesting dynamic because there's so many different ways you could do it, obviously. Just, you know, uh, how would the fighters respond to it to a female coach? Um, that kind of a dynamic. You got the dynamic of, of the two ladies not getting along and, and just, just always kind of bickering and stuff. Like, there's there's good stuff there, and it's and it would make for amazing tv oh yeah that 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 would be awesome to see um i i hope i hope they either do that because i can't really think of any other males that you could do that with like uh i mean maybe maybe if diaz wins maybe you do and they, like I, I actually no i can't i can't think of who the counterpart would be unless you do like a gsp rematch and do nick diaz and gsp as the coaches, but well, that's only if Nick Diaz wins. Well, while we're on the subject of that, we can get into this uh, this insane conference call today, which just it just like after what you told me, I went and I and I listened to it, and the first thing Dana White's like, "Oh, we got to wait for, for for Nick," and he's like, "Hey, hey, hey," he's like, "I'm here, I'm here, hello, hello," and I'm just like, "Ah, oh, shit," here we because as soon as he said, I said, "Ah, oh, shit." Here we go, and then yeah, it just it, and then it just went downhill from there. That was funny for a couple reasons to me. One, it's the first time I've ever heard DSP sound like he's legit angry. Um, it, it seemed like Nick Diaz legit got under his skin, and I also found the whole "I don't understand what you're saying." I speak better English than you. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was, I guess, because Nick uh, DSP didn't understand curse words. I guess. Well, no. What happened was. He, he just, go ahead. No, I, I, I guess he just didn't understand his cursing. Like that's what it seemed like to me. <laughs> well, you know what? The, what the funny thing was when he was um, when when they asked him if he considered GSP considered himself pampered, he was just like, "I hope so, motherfucker. If I had that much money, I'd be fucking pampering myself the fuck up. I was done." I was done because it's funny the way that he, he worded that because you know, when they were, when GSP was explaining the whole personal branding thing, he was like, yeah, that sounds nice. George, if I wear some tight shorts out there and get a fucking haircut and I had someone butter me up halfway through telling me this bullshit, maybe it would have worked out, but I doubt it. And you know, I like that because GSP is, is a great fighter. He trains well, but he, he does have a little bit of that, BJ Penn yes men scenario. Not to say that it affects his training because GSP trains hard, but he does have a nice army of dudes that be like, yeah, 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 it's good, man. You know, it's fine. It's just like, no, dude, no, it's not. The difference between him and uh, BJ Penn is these dudes built him into 
more or less a machine. Yep. Like, GSP is a machine. Like, that's just what he is. Because the BJ Penn's dudes are just there feeding him. Bullshit. Having to run on the water with rocks. Yep. <laughs> that's what his dudes are in there doing. Like, GSP's dudes is like, still training him. They, they, they might still, you know, pamper GSP a bit, but they're still training him. Yep. But no, the, the, the thing that, that, that got me in the hospital is, um, and it's a big difference to why I'm a fan of, of, um, me as compared to a dude like, uh, Shell Clinton. His difference is obviously it's not real. That's, that's me as coming straight off the cuff. Like, there's no rehearsing that. Nope. Not talking shit just to talk shit. That's 100% him. It's insane, and sometimes it's incredibly, you can't really understand what the point is he's trying to make. This is him. And, I don't know, I, I just really enjoy the kind of, like, just raw, rawness. Well, you know, the thing also was the fact that Nick Diaz, this is a guy that has to smoke weed to remain calm. <laughs> so, that's all I got to tell you. It's like you have a guy that has that has a, me- a medical prescription to smoke weed to keep him from killing anyone. You know what I mean because he's wound so tight. So when when he got like when he got mad and you know, especially when, when, you know, GSP was kind of like, you know, that, that he's going to get beat down. And, and Nick Diaz got mad because Nick Diaz is like, yo, I'm an athlete. I'm a martial artist. I want to go out there and have a good fight. And then, you know, I, I deserve to get beat down. That's what you said, right? And he was like, you know, who the fuck are you? Straight up, I don't think that you deserve to get beat down. I don't think that. I don't want anybody to get beat down. It was funny the way that went because... It really showed, once you strip away the marketing hype, that GSP's view of himself as a martial artist is 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 slightly different than how Nick Diaz views himself as a martial artist. Because Nick Diaz looks at it like, I'm training, I flip the switch to fight these guys, and I go out there and I'm a martial artist. You know, GSP is a martial artist, yeah, and a warrior, but he also looks at it from a branding standpoint because he also wants to be the face of martial arts. Yeah, I mean, I don't begrudge GSP for any of that. Oh. Um, he helped the UFC get into the boom period they were at, at UFC 100 and, and get to the point they are right now. Like, I don't begrudge GSP for any of that. Um, but it is very clear that they have slightly different views of what their job is and GSP's job to him is to market himself um, as well as win fights and Nick Diaz is in his opinion his job is to just go out there and win fights and he's not trying to he's not trying to market himself at all he's just being him and it just so happens that he has a cold of fans because he's just being himself um, I don't know it, it it was it was really interesting to hear just the, the the difference in the way they view the sport, kind of just in that conversation. Absolutely, it was it was amazing to see, and it was also refreshing to see GSP not be fed his lines. You know, because I think GSP yeah, he also does come off really robotic. Sometimes. Yes, they'll be like, "Hey, you know, I go out there and I compete, and I try to go and have very competitive fight." You know, man, but. You know, I have to make sure to get my hairline sharpened between rounds. 
that's what he does. You know, like he's very, he's so well articulated to be a corporate guy, like a corporate face of the sport that he forgets that he is an athlete. And I think that's what frustrates guys like Nick Diaz because Nick Diaz is like, dude, get mad. Show me you want to fight. Like, don't talk shit in interviews. And then you're like, hey, you know, I, I want to go out there and, and, you know, I don't complain about someone talking about me. It's like, dude, get mad. And, that, and he succeeded. Making like, in order to make money, if you really want to make money in this, you want to be like a GSP. You want to be like a John Jones. You do not want to be like Nick Diaz. As much as, like, we enjoy Nick Diaz, for the betterment of his pocketbook, it's probably better that he's not like that. But it's fun to see, like, someone like that. But, like, you want, if you want to make money in a sport, because when it all goes down to this, it's still a sport. That's not like GSP is actually the way to do it. And it's, man, I know that bothers some people, but that's, that's the way to do it. Oh, no, I'm not. GSP, G- GSP's business savvy is tremendous, and he's he's branded himself in such a way that it works. But what I'm saying is that in Nick Diaz's case, Nick Diaz's frustration is based on the fact that, you know, he, he wants to be recognized as for, for his accomplishments as an athlete. You know, not and, and, you know, it was funny when he said it. He was like, yeah, you know, I'd like to I'd like the Nike deal. Or, you know, I'd like to be on the cover of a UFC magazine because what what, what Nick Diaz is saying is like, hey, you know, I can kind of do this too. You guys just got to give me the chance. Obviously, the, the whole shooting the, the UFC 24-7 scenario, that was a, a factor. But it was it was just crazy that their, their views on the sport, though, their views on money especially, are just so, so different. Yeah, it was like I like I said, it was really interesting just to hear the two of them. More or less, just talk. More or less, you saw their two senses of what the business of the sport is in that one like twenty thirty minute conversation. There you go. It was it was ridiculous. I just want to go through some of the other MMA news with you because that that you know that was the the big thing when Dana White was like, "Hey, you guys need to listen to this call." I'm like, "Oh, here we go." But then when you told me like, "Dude." <laughs> listen to the call. I went and I was like, all right, let me take a few minutes and listen to the call on my phone. And I was just like, holy shit, these guys, someone's getting killed next Saturday. Like I, I, the, the stare down, the stare down when they got to come over and touch gloves, it's, it's going to be like that bell's going to ring. And somebody's, somebody's eating canvas immediately. Either GSP is going to shoot, shoot him for the takedown or, or Nick Diaz is going to pepper him with punches and invite him to, to come to the ground. Like he does whenever he, he ends up on his back, and he tells him, "Come on, come to come to the ground." GSP is going to do some dumb shit, and and, <laughs> and 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 go to the ground when he invites him when he invites him into the guard. If GSP loses this fight, it's probably because he did something incredibly stupid. Exactly, because he shouldn't lose this fight. Like, I mean, he's a great fighter, but he shouldn't. I don't think he's a GSP. He he shouldn't be able to beat GSP like that. Unless he lands like a billion one punch combo. Or sweeps on the submission, he shouldn't be able to do any of those things. So if GSP loses the fight, he gives overall one because he he got him out of the game. No, he it, it's it's just one of those things where it, it, that fight is going to end, and regardless of who comes out the victor, people are going to be talking about it because 
it's it's a fight that either is going to end incredibly vicious for one of those guys or it's going to end in such a way that people are just going to be left scratching their heads like GSP may get like a split decision or something crazy. Not to say that GSP may not try to finish cuz you know he's going to want to try to finish. But if it ends in a way that's that's not concrete, that's not a knockout or or a tap out, people are going to be talking about it for a long time. Yeah. Hopefully it ends in a finish. I'm hoping it ends in a finish. No, it's, it's ridiculous. Now, while we were talking about Ronda before, it seems that the uh, the movie bug is starting to rear its head as she uh, she signed with a William Morris talent agency. Um, Dave Meltzer was saying that they offered her a role in the next Hunger Games. And um, Dana White, you know, I read a comment he he said in the post, and he was pretty much like, you know how I feel about that movie stuff. You know, Rampage did the movie, and I don't want to take any opportunities away from Ronda, but she could make a million, uh, you know, a zillion movies when she retires, but she's really going to make money fighting. I don't care if she's the lead in the Hunger Games too. She could make, she couldn't, she would not make anywhere near, I mean, not in the universe to the money she makes fighting. And and I, I kind of disagree with that because it's all about a matter of what movie it is and how they pursue it and what kind of a deal that person has. If you get a cut of the gross, let, let, let's say she signs on and she gets a cut of the ticket sales for a movie based on how they structure her deal. Do you really think she's going to make more money getting punched in the face? No. Uh, there you that, go. That's completely... <laughs> that's Dana happy. White being Dana White. Like, I, I understand why he's saying that. Like, he doesn't want her to, to, to do like Dana Corrado and completely leave the sport, which I don't think Ronda would do because nope. she's far more hyper... About fighting. Uh, a competitive. But, uh... It... it, it that's a lie. <laughs> if she was doing like the Hunger Games too, and she got a cut of the gross or something like that, she would make a whole lot more money doing that. Thank you. And would not get punched in the face for it. Exactly, and that's and that's the problem that Dana White Dana White obviously wants to protect his investments and he wants to continue to make money off the fighters. If you if you run a business, that's what you're going to want. But Dana White also has to remember that these opportunities are less stressful you don't need a training camp to be in the hunger games you know you need to get in shape and you know you'll you may or may not have a stunt double depending on how you do it but it's not the same rampage was using hollywood as an out ronda may use hollywood as a platform to just take her to the next level like the rock uses movies with wrestling yeah no that's that's if, if he was smart, he'd talk to her and be like, "Hey, maybe you should go do a movie." And then, you know, in the uh, in the media tour for the movie, he just, he just you know, go in there like, "Hey, I got a fight coming There you go. You know, just it's gotta be some movie like Hungry Games for that, or Hungry Games too, because that's going to get a lot of people want to see. That's what I'm saying, and that's a that's the kind of money, that's the kind of situation where it's it's like The Rock with wrestling. The Rock has the belt. And say what you will about him, and, and that's something, you know, that, that we discuss in the wrestling segment. But the fact is that if he goes on a media tour, he's name-dropping WWE. He's name-dropping WrestleMania. He's name-dropping that he's the champion. He may or may not have the belt with him during an interview. That's how the shit works. Ronda can do the same thing. The only problem is that Dana White has to ensure 
that there's a modicum of control. Like Rampage pretty much strong armed the UFC, like, yo, I'm going to go do this movie, and I don't pretty much give a shit what you say. Dana White can have a little bit of say, you know, because he his fighters is investment. Rampage was just like, I'm going to do this movie, and if you don't let me do it, I'm out. And it's just like, uh, shit, what do we do? Ronda, it's like you guys are grooming her to be the face of your organization, so take some accountability for that shit. Yeah, I, I hope. Uh, I, I don't know if she, if she, if she does do a movie. I hope um, that they, they work it out and she makes it a, a platform for UFC. Also, bingo. Well, the, the bit of uh, what the fuck MMA news. I want to share this with you. It was on USA Today, and then MMA Junkie talked about it. It's a female transgender MMA fighter named Fallon Fox who's under investigation by the Florida State Boxing Commission after she was licensed to fight as a woman. Now, basically, what, what, what happened was uh, she's, she's 37 years old. She had gender reassignment surgery in 2006, along with supplemental hormonal therapy. In one of her fights, she knocked out a woman in 39 seconds in the fight she had on this past Saturday in Coral Gables. She is undefeated 5-0 and with all five wins in the first round. So here, here's here's the question. She's get she was scheduled to fight April twentieth in a in a eight women tournament at 145 pounds. You know things are a little suspect right now, but before we get into the semantics of it, do you feel that she should compete against women, given that she was once a man, right off the top? No, no, not 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 at all. No, okay, and. I actually, I didn't know what to talk about exactly. I had a discussion with my girlfriend about this. Like, even though she has injuries, even though she's probably taking estrogen, even though she, you know, she's doing a lot of stuff to basically be a woman, her muscle structure is still a man. Yep. There you go. So when she's trained, she ain't no man and that's that's the that's the funny thing that's been happening because there's always going to be there's always crazy ways that people look at it um you know i saw i saw a couple of fighters on twitter i mean on on facebook and their fan pages and they kind of put it out there and they put it out there but they put it out there in such a way that it was i don't want to say politically correct look you want to go out there and slice your banana and flip it around and make yourself a chick, whatever, more power to you. But to, to take into account what you said, it's true. Yes, you take hormones. Yeah, you can't have a baby. Yeah, you don't, you don't get a, a menstrual cycle. But guess what? You can bench press 225 without a problem. You know, you, you, could, you, could, you could squat two, 245 without a with with much more ease that than a woman that has to deal with other issues trying to do that type of a training regimen you're going to dry you're going to be able to push your body harder because you're going to be conditioned with 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 male dna that's 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 the bottom line at the end of the day when 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 they gut you and they look at you they're going to be like oh you know there was something there yeah basically i mean and, 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 and 
like like you said, like I could care less what you put you do with that. Like if you you know, if you're one of these people that, you know, you feel like you you want nobody cool. I don't I don't care. But there's certain things you can't do. One of those is fight. You cannot do that because you are still genetically mad and that's not fair to the woman at all. Nope. It's it's not fair, and it's funny because um, she thought she was licensed, and then, you know, the uh, Florida State Boxing Commission said that Fox received a pregnancy test for commission rules but was not drug tested. Then the California State Athletic Commission said that the commission was in the process of changing forms, and he, be- you know, the commission believed that, that Fallon interpreted that as she was getting a license. So there's a lot of crazy stuff, you know, with with regards to that and i just feel that her putting her in a tournament a eight woman tournament at 145 pounds with with money on the line is like like putting in a 16 year old kid in peewee football it's ridiculous it's it's not, it's not fair in the slightest and like and, and you know I, I don't want to be like oh you know shouldn't be equal rights but there's certain things you just can't do like if you're if you were born a uh, a man, you be you know do everything to become a woman, and, and then try to go play college basketball as a woman. You can't. You you try to go play in the WNBA, you can't. Like you just can't. Like it's you. You're still genetically a male. Yep. And it's just not fair to it's not fair to the other girls out there that don't have that advantage. It's it, it's it's a crazy thing, and it was funny because it, it picked up steam so quickly, and and everybody had. And don't get me wrong, you know, you, we, there's there, there's a ton of jokes there, and, and we could make jokes the entire night. But just from a legitimate fan of the sports standpoint, it, you just can't do it. You know, they're talking about oh, she yeah, you know she wants to fight in the UFC, and I'm like, who is she fighting? Who? She fight Cyborg. That, yeah, like like like, like you know, you could fight Cyborg or the or or Cyborg's opponent that fought dudes. In, in in you know that, that who she's meeting in Invicta, but you can't go in there with with you know being a guy and fighting a Misha Tate like a crime. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, she'll she'll have such a strange advantage over these these women. Like it's it's not fair. It's like you're hitting her with a man fist. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> that's hey, that's it. Hey. Absolutely. Now I just I just wanna go through some stuff and wrap things up. First obviously, um I was I was sad to hear that Jason McDonald he's retiring twenty five and sixteen. Um he last fought in May, he lost to Tom Lawler. And, you know, he, he he said, you know, I'm going to focus on my family and my CrossFit gym and I'm done. But it was just so surprising because I didn't think he'd be a guy that would just wake up one day and retire, you know? Yeah, I, I kind of figured if he got cut from the UFC, because I think he did. Like, I kind of figured like, if he got cut from the UFC, he, he was going to retire. Like, he, just, he just seemed like, you know, at this point it was not the other, the other big news this week I was reading, um, Tatame.com was saying that Shogun is going to fight Little Nog in June, which which would be ridiculous just because, obviously, those two guys got pre-existing history. But just just hearing that fight 
is going to make a lot of people want to see that card because those guys, much you know, much like Shogun and and Hendo, that bell's going to ring, and you know you know what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that because you know they, they had a really good fight um, and pride. Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to some ghosts and fighting because that that should be good. Now the, the the craziest thing I saw this guy um Tom Watson. He's one and one in the UFC. Called out Vanderlei on Twitter, and I'm like, dude, you're one and one right now. He um he said, yo, you know, Vanderlei, stay on your supplements at 205 or come back to 185 and get knocked the fuck out. You decide. I'm like, dude, you're one and one in the UFC. What are you doing? I, I did find it somewhat um, interesting that you just decided that that was. Thing to do. Uh, I mean, hey, you gotta get that somehow. Uh, I know, but it was so random. Like I can understand really, if it was like Hendo. Really it was it, like I can understand if it was like Hendo or or Machida or like yo, I want to fight Vanderlei. You know, make history. But it's like, dude, you're one and one. Not to say that your MMA record is shit because you're sixteen and five, but you're one and one in the UFC. What are you? What are you doing? Yeah, it was a bit weird to me, like, from that. I didn't say that. I just, I don't know. But, you know, do you think he, think he can beat Vanderlei? I don't think Vanderlei is just going to come back to 45 in the first place. But, hey, you think he can beat Vanderlei? Uh, we'll probably have to, uh, I think. Well, the other two he things I... Too, <laughs> the other two things, um, yeah. uh, the UFC events coming together quite nicely, 161... Uh, they just announced Henan Burrell's defending the bantamweight title against Eddie Wineland. Uh, Rashad is meeting Hendo, which is just going to end violently for someone. Um, Little Nog and Shogun, Jake Shields and Tyrone Woodley. Uh, Stipe Miocic is meeting uh, uh, Soa Palais. And uh, Pat Barry's taking on Sean Jordan. That's a really good call. What call That's 161. That's going down June 15th in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And then they also started putting together 162 with Weidman and Silva, uh, Tim Bosch and Mark Munoz, uh, Rafael Cavalcante is taking on Tiago Silva, and Hodger Gracie and Tim Kennedy. That could just be really fun to watch or really boring. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's a, that's a, that's a toss-up. I did want to tell you that, um, you know, of course, Douglas Lima out of his fight with Ben Saunders. According to Bjorn Rebney, I, I know you are particularly bummed. Yeah, I was looking forward to that fight. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was bummed. I did, you know what's funny? Forrest Griffin was in the news this week because you know he got his knee, so he got his knee checked out because he had the MCL and ACL strain, and he won't be back till 2013. Is it wrong that I actually thought that Forrest had retired? Because <laughs> uh, he hadn't fought. That's not how he fought. Yeah, when he fought, um, yeah, he had to pull out. He pulled out of his fight against Phil Davis in December because of the MCL tear and the ACL strain, and then he underwent surgery in December. So he's going to be out until late 2013. Oh yeah, no, last time he fought was uh, July. Yeah, man, that's a long time. 
I honestly thought he, he I honestly thought, dude, he had he had retired. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if he did. <laughs> Just because it got so quiet, you know? Yeah. Um he he I don't know, for for us for us he's I, I think he probably should retire. He he just doesn't seem like fighting is something he wants to do anymore. True. But you know, I think he probably should retire. He may he may hang it up, but at this point, it's like, um, for me, I'm just like, I when I read it, I was like, damn, he's. I thought he I thought he retired. I felt I felt really bad afterwards, but you know, what can you do? <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I think we're good. Oh yeah. Um, Mighty Mouse is getting surgery. He has a torn labrum, so you know he'll be yep. on the shelf for a minute. Yeah, I was I was actually looking forward to that that fight, but uh, this will give the a little bit more time to flesh out. Uh, there you go. All right, we that actually wraps up the MMA for this week. Of course, you can follow Ben on Twitter at Blackout eighty nine. Um, are you no. back to doing the show, or are you uh, still on hiatus? Uh, we're, we're taking a hiatus mostly because I'm going uh, to the beach for spring break. So once we get back, we're gonna hash out everything we're going to do the google chrome thing that you said and once that's everything up i'll, I'll you know announce that to everybody who who cares to know <laughs> Where, when are you going to spring break uh next week uh monday through friday yeah don't let, me, don't let me see you on the news please <laughs> doing something reckless <laughs> stay, off the news. <laughs> stay off the news don't pick any fights with any fighters in any bars because you know you know some of those dudes are trying to go down there and bag some 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 young dopey college chicks there you go all right man well have a good time during spring break and uh we'll catch up when you get back all right man peace peace all right guys that was ben make sure to check him out on twitter at blackout 89 you can also check out his columns on mytakeradio.com including our fighter of the month and also his breakdowns of some of the UFC cards. I'm sure his breakdown of the event between GSP and Nick Diaz will be another memorable column for sure. All right, so we're going to get into wrestling, and um, there's quite a few things I want to talk about. So let's get the ball rolling. All right, so what the hell is this? Wow, these pop-ups on my browser. Fuck you. Note to self, edit that out. Anyway, so before I get into Raw and Impact this week, I did want to talk about a little giveaway I wanted to do um, in conjunction with the team from Insert Geek here. They actually got a a Kane action figure from Toy Fair that um, I want to make sure to give away either in the chat room or on air. So I figured that I'm going to punch up a a trivia question in the chat and whoever gets the answer right gets the cane action figure and we can send it out uh, courtesy of insert geek here and MTR. So at some point during the 
wrestling segment. I will punch it up, and whoever answers it right will, of course, win the Kane action figure. And, of course, I will tell them to email me their um, their address, and the crew from Insert Geek here will um, will send that figure out. So be on the lookout for that in the chat. Whoever answers it gets it. And like I said, it's a Mattel Kane action figure from Toy Fair. It's a Toy Fair exclusive. So for those of you that are wrestling figure collectors, it'll make a welcome addition to your collection. Anyway, as I was saying beforehand, we um, it was really a, a crazy, crazy episode of Raw. And, you know, they were going with the whole old school Raw scenario, which was fine. And I honestly thought, based on what a lot of people were saying, that we were going to get a more, a, a less angle intensive raw, just because it was usually when they do the, the retro stuff, it's very, it's very lighthearted. And I'm shocked that they actually opened up with the undertaker coming back, which was pretty cool. He came back and you know, he, he did his little entrance and the WrestleMania sign. And it was, it was nice to see that the undertaker decided to work mania. The, the buildup for it, from him working the house shows and doing some of that stuff. I I knew that it was going to pretty much be a foregone conclusion that it was going to happen. But like anything else, you say to yourself, ah, you know, he may not do it, blah, blah, blah. Honestly, him, him doing the match at mania at this point, it's 20 and Oh, if we go that route and you know, the streak and with what happened this week regarding Paul Bearer, which I'll address later on in the segment, I think it would be fitting Again, this is from me. People may disagree that however that outcome is, if he dedicates the match to Paul Bearer, which you never know, he may, um, you know, that it'd be the last match. Not because the I don't mind seeing The Undertaker wrestle, but because if it's going to keep the streak alive and you're going to allow him to have a good match, you know, 20 and 0 just sounds like a, like a solid number. It's a, just a nice way to close things out. I honestly thought... It would be cool if he got a, a, you know, he went for a title at Mania, won the belt, and then retired the next night. But again, not to shit on the Undertaker because I've I've watched him wrestle from from the days where he was Mean Mark Callis, and that's way back, all the way to now. It, it, it's it's something where it wouldn't bother me if he retired in the least. If he said, you know, this this WrestleMania is going to be my last or whatever, I'm not, you know. It would, I wouldn't feel bad about it in the least, but obviously, be that as it may, um, you know, we got The Undertaker at Mania this year. So, Raw overall, besides The Undertaker coming back, was, was pretty cool. They did a couple of really cool throwback stuff throughout the evening, which was fine. Little throwback angles. Um, I, I got to talk about a couple of matches that, honestly, they're just getting so repetitive, like Cesaro and Ryback. I feel that every week I do the show, I talk about the chemistry between Cesaro and Ryback. Now it's getting to the point where we're saying the same, we're seeing the same fucking match every week. Now either this is leading to something at Mania, or you just don't have anybody else to work with Ryback. But seriously, Cesaro at this point, you should really start building him up for his program for Mania. Um, I know the Ryback match was a throwaway match because it was a special edition of Raw. But we're going to start setting up some of these mid-card guys for Mania, and honestly, all the belts should be defended. 
on on the main stage. So if he's going to go into a program with Ryback, so be it. But I know that most likely Ryback is heading into a feud or a match with the Shield at WrestleMania. So stop stop jobbing out Cesaro, who's your champion, and start setting that up however, however you plan on doing it. I also noticed a nice little bit of interaction between Mark Henry and Ryback, and who knows, maybe they'll go that route, which would be a, a pretty... A pretty hard-hitting match between both guys. I'd like to see if Ryback can get Mark Henry up for the uh, shell shock. It would it would definitely be a cool spot to see, just because obviously you know Mark Henry's a massive dude. But a nice little bit of teasing there. We'll see if that happens over the next couple of weeks. But I wouldn't be mad if they went with that either, only because we've seen Ryback in the Shield, we've seen Ryback and Cesaro, but Ryback and Henry is is definitely a match that would be. Interesting to see just because they're, they'd beat the shit out of each other. Mar- Zack Ryder got some screen time on Raw, obviously playing the role of Jobber. So um, who knows? Maybe maybe Zack Ryder's going to get himself ready for that TNA run when he can feud with Robbie E and Robbie T. Who knows? Because seriously, at this point, just just cut the fucking guy. And, and I'm not saying it because I dislike Ryder. I don't. On the contrary, I like Ryder. The problem is... Just um, just just cut him loose, man. Let him go. Honestly, that's that's pretty much how I feel with regards to that. I think um, in Ryder's case, he'd be better suited maybe in another organization where he can he can be given creative control. At this point, he's got he's got nothing. So before I move on, I'm gonna hit you guys with the trivia question, and I'm gonna type it in the chat. Whoever answers it correctly can email me their address and they'll get the Kane figure from Insert Geek here. We all know Kane, Glenn Jacobs, he appeared in the movie See No Evil. It's a two-part answer. What was the name of Kane's character and what year was See No Evil released? Those two answers and you get the Kane action figure from Mattel on behalf of MTR and Insert Geek here. Again, what was the name of Kane's character in See No Evil, and what year was See No Evil released in theaters? There you have it. All right, so before the segment's over, if you want to answer, make sure to throw your answer in the chat. If it's correct, we will give you the Kane action figure. Anyway, so as I was saying, Zack Ryder, just release him at this point. Send him and the big O to TNA. Put him with Robbie E or or something. Do something with him because on Raw, he's just he's just dying every week. Another guy, which I'm which is just just getting jobbed out left and right, is Dolph Ziggler. He had a little match with the Miz, and of course, it, because it was old school. Crazy-ass Ric Flair comes out, which just looks totally out of place with The Miz as his quote-unquote protege. Um, the Miz gets the victory via the figure four. Um, it was it was a competitive match, but again, Ziggler just getting jobbed out. And it, it's tiresome. Here's a guy that you're grooming for that title run, and again, tiresome. The um, point-counterpoint with Cena and The Rock... Another waste of a fucking segment. Primarily because I hate those debate-style segments 
Um, congratulations, Captain. You have won the uh, Kane Mattel action figure. Email me your address or message me your address, and I will forward it to Insert Geek here to send you the figure. Congrats, Captain. Jacob Goodnight is the answer. 2006 is the year. I'm sure he may have had some assistance, maybe not, but either way, congrats. Make sure to forward me your address so I can forward it to Insert Geek here for your Kane action figure. Anyway, moving on. As I was saying, the the whole thing with these point counterpoints, these debates, any of this stupid shit, unless it's ending in, in somebody punching somebody else in the face, I really don't care. It's a waste of fucking time. As soon as, as The Rock comes out and he's cutting his, you know, his typical rock spiel and Cena, Cena seemed all right. But at the end, it was just like, this is, this is, this pretty much sums up how I felt about that entire segment. That's, that's pretty much how I viewed that entire segment because it was just, it was sad. It was sad because it just didn't. It didn't resonate. It didn't feel natural. It just felt like two guys reading cue cards in the middle of the ring. Moving on, we had the real American Jack Swagger kill every version of an American gimmick at the same time, including, you know, Sergeant Slaughter, Hacks, All-American Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, all killed by the real American Jack Swagger. I, as soon as I saw these guys in the ring, I knew it was going to end that way. Obviously, the, the the investment in the swagger push continues. Whether swagger loses the belt to Del Rio or not is a whole other story. But the fact is that I think in terms of angle advancement, it was okay. And honestly, not to take anything away, but I doubt anybody who's gonna, was really chomping at the bit to see Hacksaw Jim Duggan wrestle Sergeant Slaughter. I could be, I mean, um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter, and Dusty Rhodes, any of them wrestle Jack Swagger. I could be wrong, but honestly, in terms of angle advancement, it was fine. You had a uh, tag team match with Team Hell No and the primetime players who have really been stepping their game up. They really expanded themselves into more of a, not only a solid wrestling duo, but their comedy has definitely improved quite a bit. I thought with the, with the departure uh, of their manager, it was going to be, you know, of Abraham Washington. It was going to be something where they would continue to stagnate in the in the mid card, but they, they're coming into their own. I'm I'm really hoping that either they, uh, hell no, drops the belts to the Rhodes Scholars or to the primetime players because either one of those guys can keep the tag team division afloat. And in the primetime players' case, I think they need the belts just to bring their gimmick full circle. Now, I don't know why. And if, and if this is true, it's just terrible. They were calling Tenzai and Brodus Clay. Tenzai was being billed as Sweet T. I kid you not, Sweet T. They took on the 3MB. It was it was just another another travesty. I mean, it was cool because of the honky-tonk man and whatever, but the rest of it, not so much. And we got to see Fandango debut and do his shit, which was... I'm going to tell you guys right now that that Fandango gimmick is going to get old very quickly. If you're going to do it, do it for at minimum two weeks, and then he's got to wrestle. 
But the fact that we've already seen it on social media, SmackDown, and we've seen it on Raw, he's he's got to wrestle next week because it's gonna wear it's gonna wear thin, and people aren't gonna they're they're just not gonna get into the character. On the contrary, they're gonna boo him not because he's a heel. They're just gonna boo him to get him off the fucking television. But what can you do? Triple H comes out with his corporate haircut and his little motorcycle jacket, playing Billy Badass. I'm gonna fight Brock Lesnar. Blah, 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 WrestleMania, we know the deal. Um, the Shield, they put out their little snuff film mixtape, Believe in the Shield, that they're coming for Orton, Sheamus, and that the big show better watch is back. Obviously, this leads to a massive fuckery with the Shield, which I'll discuss in a few minutes. We got ourselves a little champion versus champion match with Del Rio and Wade Barrett, which was surprisingly good. Short little brawl, it was nice. The loss really didn't hurt Wade Barrett. It was a champions versus champions match. And it, I think that if you if these guys had a legit feud, it would be really worth watching because Wade Barrett, I think, is, and I've said this a few times, he's one or two matches away from just a memorable moment that will solidify him as a main eventer. Now, of course, old school Raw means old school New Age Outlaws. And we did get to see them against the Colognes, my favorite Goya brothers with Rosa Mendez. Uh, Billy Gunn, please dye your hair completely because even though you were rocking the bleach blonde, I can still see the gray. Road Dog also starting to show a little gray in that beard. Get that Just For Men beard kit that they advertise on WWE programming and you guys can use that. Other than that, it was a nice little bit of nostalgia and um, it's kind of depressing that the Outlaws look better than some of the tag teams that WWE has and may, you know, make of that what you will. But from a nostalgia standpoint, I had no problem with the match. I just feel bad for, for um, Primo and Epico because those guys, they just can't catch a break either. They're jobber fodder for you know, nostalgic moments like this or to put over guys like Ryback. Like they, they've never hit their stride, which is unfortunate. I'm not even saying that because they're Puerto Rican or, or because Rosa's Spanish is complete dog shit. I'm just saying it because of their wrestling pedigree and the fact that they can wrestle well. That's the thing that kills me. They can wrestle. They, they can really deliver solid tag team wrestling. They're athletic. They have, they have pretty good mic work and they go out there and they and they compete with really really good tag teams and in some cases they make them look better and it's just unfortunate that they've never gotten past being curtain jerkers which is a, a shitty thing to say but it's true that's kind of what they've been doing with them and it's unfortunate anyway raw's main event fatal four way Sheamus CM Punk Randy Orton Big Show we know where this was going clearly Sheamus and Punk and um, Sheamus and Randy Orton are being set up to to deal with the Shield and the Big Show may somehow get involved. Who knows? But honestly, Randy Orton and the Undertaker, we've seen it. Big Show talking about that. I didn't have this when I fought the Undertaker last time, and it's like, what? You didn't have a hand? Is that what you're saying? You fought the you fought the Undertaker the last time with one hand. That was what you were doing. It was it was ridiculous that um you know that they would go that route um in my in my case though I felt that the match overall was, was an enjoyable match the only thing was that the setup kind of felt a little rushed and when I say that is 
When the Big Show prepared to throw the KO punch and he missed, and Sheamus hit the brogue kick, and you had, you know, the just the, the big set of finishers, you almost can see it a mile away that Punk was going to win. And obviously, if you've watched wrestling a long time, you know that Punk was a shoe-in for this match because he's probably the guy that can deliver a very memorable match with The Undertaker and probably is the guy that, if I had to say any Undertaker opponent out of those four guys that had a chance to maybe end the streak and become a legend, it would be Punk. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, you know, The Undertaker is going to be undefeated. But for, for argument's sake, think about this. The Undertaker has incredible clout in the WWE. He works the schedule he wants. He picks his opponents. He picks his matches. He, he has su- extreme creative control over his character. So in The Undertaker's case, he is without a doubt a guy that can pretty much change the landscape of the company just based on who his opponent is. And the reason I say that is because take, for instance, the Big Show. We know that him and the Big Show are going to have a, 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 a pretty stiff style match with some, you know, some really hard shots to each other, either, you know, either Big Show knockout punches, chairs, etc. You look at a guy like Randy Orton, you know that Randy Orton is going to come out there and he's going to try and, you know, use a little bit of the underhanded tactics and the, you know, the, the ruthless aggression to get the victory. And of course, it's going to cost him. Sheamus, he hasn't been tested, but Sheamus and The Undertaker obviously has zero buzz whatsoever. But in CM Punk's case, there's a couple of things you can look at that would really validate CM Punk breaking the streak or CM Punk just delivering a great match. And and here's here's why. CM Punk was champion for 400 plus days. The guy held the belt the longest. Um, he defended it every time. He wrestled all the time. He had consistently good matches with almost all of his opponents. And above all else is a guy that can not only sell your match with wrestling, but he can sell it with promo work. When you take a guy like CM Punk and put him against a guy like The Undertaker, there's so many factors to look at where if Punk wins, it wouldn't be a bad thing. It would if, if Punk were to break the streak, it would validate Punk as a legend. It would validate Punk as the face of the company. It would validate Punk as the guy that they pass the torch to. You can always create a new streak. And I've always said that if I had to create a new streak in the in the place of The Undertaker, I would do it with Kane. Primarily because, obviously, the connection between the two of them, but also because Kane, at this point, has been a company guy for so long that he has earned that opportunity. Kane is, Kane is a guy that he should, let's say The Undertaker were to retire, he should cut a promo and say, to honor my brother, I will start my own streak at WrestleMania. And I will show that, you know, the Brothers of Destruction may be separated, but, you know, the legend lives on. Something like that. Just something powerful that would really get people interested and invested in Kane as a persona. And I say that because Kane, he, he's kind of got a second life with Daniel Bryan. But once you split them up, Kane is going to fall back into, into the mid-card doldrums. He's just going to be there. He's going to be the guy that you call out as the mystery opponent. He's going to be the guy that is is going to be involved in, in the disciplinary actions of whatever 
executive or manager or GM is in charge, which is unfortunate. Now, looking at it the way I said, you can you can take Kane and reward him for his service, create a new streak, and it would allow Kane to still work his matches, but also be the guy that can go out there and kind of keep that whole mystique of the streak alive. I'm not saying to let Kane go 20-0 and because I don't think he's going to be able to wrestle that long, but let him keep the streak. And then if another guy beats him that you want to kind of build up, let that guy keep the streak, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's something that can remain constant and remain a major part of storylines for the foreseeable future. Will they do that? Who knows? But if I were a betting man, I'd say the Undertaker's going to win, but it's going to be a hard-fought battle with CM Punk, and Punk is going to make that match look incredibly technical, but not only that, it's going to be a match that's going to be incredibly surprising. Are we going to get the same caliber match we got with um, him and Cena this past Monday? Who knows? But I think The Undertaker is going to want to go out there, and if he were to say that it were his last match, I think Punk would be able to get a solid match out of him. So we'll see how WrestleMania unfolds, and CM Punk is heading to the big dance to meet The Undertaker. Now, I was going to talk about TNA Impact this week. Unfortunately, my DVR did not tape it in its entirety, so I will need to download it or see it on on demand or something. But on um, you know, I can't really get into it this week. So we're going to get into the rest of the wrestling news. Um, Rey Mysterio has been off TV for a while, and it's because he's dealing with another knee issue. Um, originally, they were saying he may have suffered an ACL tear. Um, He's been kind of updating fans on Twitter about what's going on. Right now, it seems he's going to have to wear a special brace to prevent him from getting surgery. And um, he's going to continue to wrestle with that brace. Um, You know, at at the recommendation of Dr. James Andrews, it seems that he's going to continue to wrestle with the brace. But his knee is in bad shape. And I'm sure that WWE is going to want to have him recover as best as possible, even if he's going to wear the brace to prevent immediate surgery. I think it's going to be something that it's going to be worth keeping an eye on in Ray's case. I mean, it's unfortunate that he suffered so many knee injuries at this point that he's never he's never going to wrestle the same. And and the unfortunate part of that is that it it's it's not a bad thing if if he retired or if he went in the Hall of Fame. The guy's had a Hall of Fame career anyway. I think in Ray's case, WWE is going to want to set something up where they kind of pass the torch to another mass superstar because that's the only way I can see it working. Rey Mysterio can't just retire. It, it, there has to be something special for him and his character. Simple as that. And of course, as I said, I want to just take the opportunity and acknowledge you know, the passing of William Moody, who many of you know as Paul Bearer or Percy Pringle. He passed away at the age of 58 this week. Um, He debuted in the WWE in 1991 as The Undertaker's manager, and he's pretty much been uh, a a focal point in both Undertaker and Kane storylines ever since. And uh, it's crazy because um, he's been dealing with illness for a while, and PW Insider said that Paul Bearer was telling people he wasn't feeling well, and he pulled out of a, a lot of appearances and bookings because he wasn't feeling well. Then it was also said, according to TMZ, that um, Bob Kelly from Cauliflower Alley said that Bear was in poor health on March 2nd, 
during the reunion event that they did. He had severe breathing problems. He was coughing. He had trouble standing for long periods of time. And Bear actually, you know, Paul Bear complained of suffering a blood clot and that he planned to seek treatment. You know, he went to the hospital right after the reunion and he was being treated for the blood clot. And short, excuse me, shortly after he passed away, it's unfortunate. I mean, the man was 58 years old. It wasn't like he was he was super old, but he was dealing with a lot of health problems. So, you know, on behalf of myself and the rest of the staff at MTR, you know, we give our condolences to, um, you know, Mr. Moody's family, Paul Bearer's family. And, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate, especially so close to WrestleMania. And I'm sure they're going to do something for him on Monday Night Raw. But it kind of changes the scope of a lot of things, which I know some people may look at a little differently. But, you know, how's The Undertaker's gonna, match going to play out? Is Are they going to do something where he's going to want to wrestle and, and, and do something in memory of Paul Bearer, maybe with the urn? Who knows? But the other thing was that, in a lot of storylines, Paul Bearer was acknowledged as Kane's father. So, and depending on, on what year you were watching wrestling, they, he was also acknowledged to be The Undertaker's father, and they kind of flip-flopped on that. But a large percentage of Kane's career, he was recognized as being Paul Bearer's son. Now, will will that change the Kane character? Will he acknowledge the passing of his you know storyline father? I don't know, but... That's something that's very interesting to me because you can not to say that you should make that an angle, but there's there's something there that can kind of bring the stories of Kane and the Undertaker full circle. What it may be, who knows, but it's it's going to be an interesting Monday Night Raw this week because of that, obviously so close to WrestleMania, and it's going to be interesting to see if they decide to you know, give him the honor of going into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, in light of his passing. We'll see if they do that. I mean, it would be cool either way, and if he is, it would be awesome to have him inducted by Kane and The Undertaker because those are two guys who, who's, you know, you know, their involvement with him was tremendous for their career. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but it wasn't. He didn't die of, you know, a drug overdose or anything like that. He just, you know, he was in, in poor health, and that was pretty much how it went. All right, so... That's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. Things are running a little sketchy over here with the mixer. I don't know what the deal is, but um, as far as I know, the audio levels seem good and people are um, saying that the sound is good. But let's get into this week's uh, video game news because we have quite a bit to discuss. So... A very strong rumor that I've been hearing on a couple of different social media outlets are that we're going to be seeing Saints Row 4 by the end of this summer. Uh, the, the franchise designer Chris Stockman posted on Twitter a very interesting message at the beginning of February, which was, hey, just to let you know, word around the campfire is Saints Row 4 is shipping on current-gen consoles in late August. This rumor was further fueled by Deep Silver, who, you know, owns the license and tweeted the following. Dear media, you're going to want to be at PAX East this year. If not, you're going to be missing out on something huge. Just an FYI. For those of you that are interested, PAX East will be taking place March 22nd through March 24th. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they're going to do with the Saints Row franchise. I think Saints Row the Third was extremely enjoyable. And I actually got to the party late with that game because I picked it up 
as a Gamefly uh, rental for our Gamefly Q review. If you're interested in checking that out, you can find it on MyTakeRadio.com. And um, I really enjoyed it, so I, 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 I'm very, very, very excited about a potential fourth installment of the series because I really enjoyed the third one, and it's a nice... It's a nice departure from GTA, especially when considering that we're not going to see GTA for a while. I, I wouldn't mind a, a little Saints Row action because, like I said, it was extremely, extremely enjoyable. The other big news this week, of course, was Ubisoft's announcement of Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, which is the obviously the next installment of the Assassin's Creed franchise. And the funny thing about this is there was a lot of different opinions based on the fact that oh you know they're becoming like madden cranking out a game but for me personally as long as the story is good i'm definitely going to play it i'm actually surprised about a bit of news that came out regarding PETA that were speaking out about whaling that was being shown in the trailer for the game and in some of the uh, promotional shots and the reason is because obviously they feel that this game is condoning the practice of whaling and i'm not going to say that they're you know that that they're stupid because whatever it's it's they're entitled to their opinion but you have to take into account that assassin the assassin's creed series takes place throughout history and throughout history we did a lot of stuff you know when you were playing assassin's creed 3 you hunted you skinned animals that's the way things went when you were pirates you killed whales and stuff like that the blubber was used for for candle oil and you know some of the some of the meat and stuff was used and that was just a part of history. This is the way things are. Nobody's saying that the game is advocating jumping on a ship and becoming a pirate or finding a ship and killing whales. Not in the least. There's no there's no correlation between that and any of that sort of behavior. I just feel that it was kind of an unfounded gripe on their part based on what they saw. And again, the initial reaction, I, I can understand where they... they they got it from, but they really should have done their homework because it's a game that takes place at various points in history. And these things did happen. You know, our native native Americans did kill animals for, for their skin and for clothing. It was, it was a part of trade. It's the way things went. I'm shocked that they never really said anything about that because that game had a lot of hunting, you know, shooting deer, killing wolves, um, you know, skinning them, selling their fur. I'm surprised that they never complained about that, but they're complaining about whaling in a game that takes place in a period of history where that was part of the way things were. Again, these are games that kind of, they, they fall in the middle of historic events, and as such, the, the source material is going to be honored. So while, while I understand, again, why they, they had that opinion, it was just kind of, silly to make such a big deal out of it anyway assassin's creed 4 is going to follow edward kenway um guy who falls out of privateering for the royal navy and goes into piracy so it's going to be very interesting because you you know you can see blackbeard in the trailer uh charles kane it, it's interesting because the story is going to take you through the west indies and the golden age of pirates um it's going to be open world it's going to have 50 uh, locations that you're going to be able to navigate to, by, you know, by ship. Um, you're going to have all the different weaponry that we all know and love, plus the, all the weaponry that was used during that era. You can see a lot of the stuff in the trailer, which hopefully I'll be able to post later this evening just because I've been so swamped with work. I'll try and post that up 
later on this evening for you guys to check out. But I enjoyed the Assassin's Creed series. I know a lot of people are feeling that it's getting into, you know, roster update Madden territory, but I want to see what they do with the story. When the story stops being good, that's when I'll start complaining. Until then, I'm going to play it because I enjoy the Assassin's Creed games. And even though I was let down by Desmond's ending in the third game, I really felt that Connor's story still had a lot of layers to it. I'm interested to see where Edward Kenway falls in regards to that, where his lineage comes from. But overall, I have I have no problem with another Assassin's Creed. I don't. Anyway, you're going to be able to pick that up October 29th, 2013. Obviously, 360, PS3, PS4, the Wii U, and Windows, and probably whatever next-gen Xbox gets announced as well. Also, if you guys have been by the YouTube channel, you'll see the new trailer for Lost Planet 3, which was announced by Capcom. I'm going to be putting that up on the site as well. It will be released this summer on Xbox 360, PS3, and Windows PC. I I played Lost Planet 2, and I really enjoyed it. So it's going to be cool to see what they're going to do with the series, especially because it's a series that's kind of been under the radar for so long. Based on the trailer, it looks really promising. Hopefully Capcom delivers. But if you want to check it out, head over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash TV. We got a demo for Army of Two dropping March 12th. That's actually going to be a co-op demo available on Xbox Live and PSN. I'm looking forward to, to it. I really like the Army of Two games. They are mindless and pretty enjoyable, I think. Seeing this and seeing the co-op demo is going to get people more interested because it's a game that when it was initially announced, people were kind of like, yeah, that looks really cool. And then again, it went under the radar and it kind of just got swept under the rug. So we're going to get a playable demo next Tuesday and again, Xbox Live and PSN. For those of you that are playing Tomb Raider, get ready for your first DLC pack. It's going to be available on the Xbox 360 starting March 19th. The new pack is going to feature three multiplayer maps and the arenas will be playable on all four game modes. You're going to get the Scavenger Caverns, the Cliff Shanty Town, the Burning Village, and um uh All right, yeah, it is the, it is the three maps. That DLC is going to run you 400 points or 5 bucks. They haven't given a release date for PS3 or PC versions yet, but as soon as I get it, I'll make sure to share that with you guys. But if you did pick it up on Xbox 360, you'll be able to get that DLC on March 19th. All right, so that's going to wrap up the gaming news for this week. Let's get into some entertainment news. Kick-Ass 2 is, is going to open things up. They actually had to shift the date around. I was really looking forward to seeing it June 28th. Now, unfortunately, I got to wait till August 16th. So they're moving it to August 16th. It's going to be... Um, they also moved um, Two Guns, which I was interested in seeing with Denzel and Mark Wahlberg. That got moved from August 16th to August 2nd. And then RIP PD, or RIPD, with uh, Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges is now being released in 3D on July 19th. So 
A lot of shifting around in regards to the box office. I was bummed, like I said, because I wanted to see Kick-Ass. It was shortly after my birthday. Now I got to wait till August for it. A little bummed, but I'm really looking forward to it. Obviously, all the cast is coming back. Plus, you got new additions, including Jim Carrey, Morris Chestnut, Donald Faison, and John Leguizamo. A movie that I, I enjoyed in a, in a you know, lame popcorn, I'll watch on cable sort of way, was Sinister. And in a totally unnecessary move, it looks like Sinister will be getting a sequel. Deadline reports that Scott Derrickson and uh, C. Robert Cargill will co-write the film. And um, the first film with Ethan Hawke did uh, did pretty well. It brought $87.7 million on a budget of just $3 million. So obviously a huge driving force with regards to that. But I think part of that also is the fact that these movies, they're made for so little that anything they make that is over their their allocated budget is considered a success, not even factoring in the home video releases, which are a separate factor. Look, Sinister wasn't the greatest movie. It wasn't terrible, but did it need a sequel? No, really didn't. Another film that got swept under the rug and is starting to pick up steam again is Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. Um, the studio... Uh, Panorama Media is teaming up with Darko Entertainment to revive the project, which is based on Seth Graham Smith's best-selling novel. The script for the film was written by David O. Russell, and the studio was hoping to present the film at Cannes, but they couldn't, so now they're working on reviving it and are looking for a director. So, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies is back on. Brian Singer made a casting announcement for X-Men Days of the Future Past. Omar Sy. French actor, he was in a film called The Untouchables, has joined the cast. A lot of people are thinking that he will be playing Apocalypse, and a huge number of people, including yours truly, think that he will be playing Bishop. So we'll see if they decide to do that. It actually would be cool to see Bishop on screen. It'd be cool to see the mullet. I mean, ball-headed Bishop is cool, but mullet Bishop is the one that we all know and love. So we'll see how that pans out, but Omar Sy is the newest cast member of X-Men Days of the Future Past. He joins, of course, returning cast members Hugh Jackman, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, and first-class cast members James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Nicholas Holt, and also Anna Paquin, Ellen Page, Sean Ashmore, and Peter Dinklage, who recently joined the cast as well. Uh, They are shooting for a July 18th, 2014 release date. Of course, um, it was also recently announced that Halle Berry will be returning as Storm, to the X-Men universe, so that's another casting addition in a in an incredibly intriguing film for me. Obviously, because you're you're dealing with the the aspects of time travel, but just a mixture of both casts. It's going to be interesting to see how they give everybody screen time, and if each person just isn't relegated to a minute or two, and actually are given the opportunity for plot development. We'll see how it pans out, but. I commend them for being able to get so much of the original cast and the new cast back as well. On the box office total front, Jack the Giant Slayer took the box office with $28.1 million. Identity Thief hung on at number two. 21 and over was number three. The Last Exorcism Part 2 was number four. Snitch was number five. Escape from Planet Earth was six. Safe Haven was seven. Silver Linings Playbook was number eight. A Good Day to Die Hard hangs on at number 9, and Dark Skies was number 10. 
In some other box office total, superhero hype reported that The Hobbit has officially passed the $1 billion mark at the box office. The film has earned $301 million domestically, $700 million million internationally. It's also the 15th film to break the $1 billion mark. So there you have it, folks. The Hobbit now is a $1 billion film. The Desolation of Smog is scheduled to hit theaters December 13th, 2013, while The Hobbit There and Back Again will be in theaters December 17th, 2014. Now, of course, it wouldn't be an entertainment segment without some Marvel news. Uh, Kevin Feige did an interview with SFX Magazine talking about the Phase 2 of the Marvel films, which, of course, are going to be leading into Avengers 2 in 2015. He went on to say that the second phase of films is going to be more along the cosmic variety, including Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy. Meanwhile, Captain America is going to be a little bit more of a political thriller, a bit darker. Same thing with Iron Man 3. They're going to have just a, a different approach to both films. Iron Man 3 already, you can see, has a lot of political stuff already thrown in from what we've seen in the trailers. And, you know, in Captain America's case, there's so much deep storytelling you can do in terms of just bringing the character forward. And Captain America actually has a lot of dark moments in his life too, especially because he's so out of place in terms of the time period he's in and all the people he knew being dead you can actually do a lot with that so i'm really interested to see how that's going to go and um guardians of the galaxy of course all the casting for that is just really really cool i'm still curious to see how who is going to voice rocket raccoon and how the how they're going to work out this drax the destroyer casting and the reason i say that is because last week i was telling you guys that jason momoa actually couldn't come to terms with marvel for it which opens the door for the possibility that Batista may be the shoe-in for Guardians of the Galaxy. The Latino Review was saying that it's pretty much down to those two guys, Batista or Jason Momoa. If Jason Momoa is holding up Marvel for money, considering that he hasn't exactly had a bunch of successful films, he should take the role. But if Batista does get it, this will definitely be the role that puts him in front of a, a large audience and really makes him a viable actor to use in films like this. I mean, he's done a lot of, you know, straight to cable stuff. And obviously he was very solid in the man with the iron fist, which hopefully I'll have the review for that up this weekend as well. But Batista making it into a Marvel film is just big because of just the exposure he'll get and the amount of possibilities for him to branch out into other films, maybe try his hand at some comedy stuff like that. So Jason Momoa shouldn't, shouldn't, be trying to hit up Marvel for too much money because like I said, it's not like people are pounding down the door to cast him in movies that don't involve him either playing, you know, something like Conan or Khal Drogo or acting alongside Sylvester Stallone in a in a, in an incredibly terrible action film, but that's a story for another day. So as a shock as it may be for me at least, I'm sure Slick is going to laugh about this. They will be Another Resident Evil, which will be hitting theaters September 12th, 2014. Obviously, Paul Anderson is going to be back in charge. Mila Jovovich, of course, is coming back. And if you guys saw the last Resident Evil film, you know that it ended with Alice at the White House with Wesker. And um, they were pretty much just fighting the undead that were invading the White House. Where they go from there, who knows? But seriously, we're, we're on the verge of 
a sixth Resident Evil film, and six films later, and Alice still hasn't shown up in a game. Just figured I'd toss that out there. While we're on the subject of, you know, games and movies, Tomb Raider, obviously with the reboot that's been going on and how successful it's been, they're looking to use that reboot as a launching platform for a brand new Tomb Raider film. Variety actually said that Crystal Dynamics is working with GK Films and developing the film, which is going to be more in sync with the new game and, of course, is going to reconstruct the origin of Lara Croft. So it's going to be interesting that the game kind of rebooted the franchise and they're going to use that as the launching platform for a brand new Tomb Raider film. I think that the Tomb Raider films with Angelina Jolie were, were, were enjoyable. You know, they were lighthearted popcorn fare, but they weren't, they weren't complete shit. I actually enjoyed those movies because they were, they were pretty close to, to the games at the time. We'll see what young actress they get to play the young Lara Croft. And if they can actually get it right the second time around, I think Tomb Raider is one of those franchises that if it makes the jump to the big screen, if done right, you can make it on par with a Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that. Same thing with um, Uncharted. If Uncharted made the jump to the big screen and it was handled right, it could be done in the same line, like I said, uh, where it's it's huge and it's re- real family-friendly for, for Pirates of the Caribbean fans, especially if Disney got behind it. I think um, films like that would do very well. They kind of keep in that whole adventure, Indiana Jones kind of vibe that people still enjoy. And like I said, Uncharted more so. Tomb Raider's a little bit more dark now with the with the turn they've taken. But again, I think if done right, it could do very well in the box office. So I did want to say that um, in Bloomberg Business Week of all places, George Lucas kind of let the cat out of the bag that Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and Harrison Ford have all signed on for Star Wars Episode Seven. He said we had already signed Mark and Carrie and Harrison, or were pretty much in the final stages. So I called them to say, look, this is what's going on. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that. I think they want to announce with, they want to do the announcement with some big whoop-de-doo, but we are negotiating with them. I won't say whether the negotiations were successful or not. So there you have it. For all intents and purposes, it's almost a lock that Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, and Harrison Ford will all be back to reprise their roles in Star Wars Episode Seven. So, George Lucas, thanks for kind of playing the role of spoiler, but honestly, he said it to Bloomberg Business Week, so it's not the worst thing in the world. But again, there you have it. If you've been watching the casting news with that, you guys will be happy to know that those three will be returning to their iconic roles. Something very interesting came across my desk earlier today, and it involved Sam Raimi, and it was funny because they were asking him about Spider-Man. And he actually said that he had been pursuing Anne Hathaway to play Felicia Hardy in Spider-Man 4. When asked about it a little further, he did confirm it, but he went on to say that I didn't get to see Batman yet but I've been because wor- I've been working nonstop on Oz and I hear she's great in it. I'm not surprised because I loved what she was doing with the auditions for Spider-Man 4. So there you have it, a bit of a, 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 bit of a crazy Easter egg that Anne Hathaway was considered for the role of Black Cat in Spider-Man 4. Crazy, crazy stuff. And of course, she went on to play Catwoman, so there you have it. All right, so that actually wraps up the show for this week. show went a little faster than usual. We didn't go into the uh, overtime that has become synonymous with MTR for the last couple of weeks, but I will say that it was 
Um, an extremely enjoyable show. We had a couple of little audio mishaps, which were minor at best. I think that the people that are tuning into the show on Mixler probably will not be too enthused with the way it went down. But nonetheless, I think that we had a pretty audio hassle-free show this week. As a reminder, MTR will be doing a Mixler-only show next week. If you want to listen to it live and join the chat, the web address will be Mixler, M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash, actually, yeah, forward slash My Take Radio. Again, M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash My Take Radio. And we will be doing the show exclusively on Mixler next week. Just as a trial thing, we're testing it out. Nothing crazy. It's not the end of the world. Um, we will release the show on BTR afterwards for those of you on Blog Talk Radio that are only accessing the show that way. And, of course, we will release the show on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, all the usual outlets, and, as of course, MyTakeRadio.com. All right, guys, time to wrap things up. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR or would like to advertise with us, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mytakeradio, MySpace. You can look for us there. You can always become a fan on our Facebook fan page, which is always active with tons of listeners and readers talking about everything from comics to movies to MMA to TV. You name it, it's covered. We also seem to have developed quite a following with all the cosplay and stuff that we share. Feel free to stop by again, facebook.com forward slash mytakeradio. We're also doing a fairly decent amount of stuff with Google Plus, so add us to our add us to your circle there. And of course, last but not least, if you want the full MTR experience, make sure to pick up the apps for Android and iOS devices. For Android, you can pick it up in the Amazon Marketplace. For iOS, of course, iTunes. And if you are listening to the show on your computer, you can always listen to it via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zune Marketplace, and TuneIn Radio. We'd really appreciate if you're getting the shows off of iTunes, you take a moment and you give us a quick review. We would really, really appreciate it. All right, so that's going to wrap it up. I will catch you guys next week. Taking us out is going to be Kratos, Born of Ashes, God of War. You can pick it up at OC Remix. Dot org. Peace. That's all, folks. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs>